0: start by doing the hardest thing. You forgive yourself.
1: Hey, get it. You want a job?
0: How's the pie?
2: So good. I want you to kill Peter Parker.
0: You'll get your rent when you fix this damn door! <laughs> Look at little Goblin Jr. Wanna cry?
1: Don't give me the horse thing. I love it. Romance. I am French. You know, I guess one person can make a difference.
0: What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective. The show where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie, episode by episode. I am your host, Eduardo, and I've got... Some wacky web-slingers here with me. We've got Peaches, we've got Chris, we've got Robbie. Gentlemen, the three of you are here to talk about Spider-Man 3. So I'm going to leave so that the three of you can talk about it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Dang. I don't know if that means you're calling us out or if that means that you have nothing to say
0: about it. Explain to me how that would be me calling you out.
1: Because we interrupt you all the time. You know that.
0: What does it have to do with the number three? Well, I think it was very clear what I was doing there.
1: Stave it off.
3: One, two, three. He Except maybe, maybe it's
0: not it. nearly as clear now that I think about it. Specifically to Peach.
3: <laughs> Stave it off. One, two, three. This show is Spider-Man
2: 3. Yep, I'm confused. <laughs> uh, three is the number of spider Man, and the number of spider Man shall be three.
1: <laughs> I mean, I get that there's... Okay, don't put your joke fail on me, all right? If I didn't understand it, that's your fault.
0: No, I think it's your fault, but that's okay.
2: It uh, sounds like victim blaming to me. Yeah. Yeah, it does.
0: Who's the victim here?
2: All of us. I'm not yeah, the monster, here you are! This joke.
3: <laughs> not the gumdrop buttons! Why did I sound like Mickey Mouse a little bit? Yeah, that was oh, actually... Oh. That was a solid Mickey. <laughs> you know what they say. Dreams are better when you share them. <laughs> <laughs> this is getting too meta. we got to get out.
0: You're right. My joke was the worst. Uh, <laughs> so, all of you listeners out there, this show right here, Assembly Required, an MC retrospective, is all about the MCU and all of the things uh, involving the MCU, but we've taken a little detour over into Sony Ramyland as we talk about Spider-Man, and then we'll talk about Uh, some of the amazing Spider-Man movies up until Loki comes out. That being said, this show right here could not happen without each and every one of you listening. So thank you very much for taking the time to listen. And if you'd like to support the show, we are supported by people just like you over at patreon.com slash assembly required. And we've got some new patrons to thank this week. Thanks to Corey and David, our two new patrons. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, so if you'd like to also support the show, patreon.com slash assembly required would be the place to do it. But gentlemen, today we are talking all about Spider-Man 3, directed by Sam Raimi and released in 2004. Seven, sorry. Released in two thousand seven.
1: <laughs> Sorry,
0: my notes guy. Just <laughs> I saw that I coming, involved. and you
3: said it too fast before I could get it. <laughs> Whoa, two
1: thousand seven minus two thousand four is two th- is three. Spider Man three. Spider Man 3. <laughs> three. Those joke is back.
0: Shit. <laughs> uh, Robbie, give us a little bit of production and release history for Spider Man three.
1: Yeah,
3: um, not much to this movie. Uh, just like the last movie. Uh, the previous film had been such a success, they immediately started on production, and yet it took three years, years—a longer, one year longer than the last one, because this movie did go through a lot of changes. wasn't in any sort of development hell or anything, but just lots of script changes and changed ideas through which production. Uh, a lot of which the I think... The hell came later. Yes, the hell came later. A lot of which I think you can actually kind of see in the finished product, but we'll get there. Um, Sign on some new characters. We had Bryce Dallas Howard playing Gwen Stacy for some reason. Uh let's see during okay, what do you mean uh, for some reason? We'll get there.
1: Do you um, mean because you didn't need Gwen Stacy in the movie or because you don't like Bryce Dallas Howard?
2: Which is one of my favorite is. Star Wars directors? Yes, absolutely. Like, okay, okay, I have, okay. I'm just, No, I have
1: I have no ill words to say about Bryce Dallas Howard. Okay, just clarifying questions <laughs> okay. here. I yeah. Yeah. it kind of sounded like you had some beef with her like she no, I sure was do not. mean at was mean to you at a galaxy place.
3: anyway she found out she was pregnant during filming um after performing several of her own stunts i have seen people say that that impacted the third act of the film but i couldn't find any um proof of that i couldn't find any substantiation of that Uh, but i have heard people say that she was supposed to be the third act of the film was supposed to be about gwen stacy but bryce dallas howard was pregnant i don't
1: know i don't Actually, people think that's like true.
2: blaming things they yes. don't like in movies on actresses getting pregnant. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think there's did any. they
1: think that. that? Did they think that she was going to be the one kidnapped, or that maybe is Benham what I was going to take both of I them?
3: Have, I have seen many people say that. I've seen them say that as a matter of fact, and could not find a single thing to substantiate that claim. So
2: I don't understand hmm. how that works in the story. I I agree because the way yes. I mean, not not that I'm going to defend this movie too much, but I do feel like it builds up to the climax that the movie has been setting up for the whole time. It doesn't feel like a last minute change. Oh, throw Mary Jane in there. Yep. I agree with that. Um, I, they just, I think wanted a girl
3: to have Peter, uh, abuse Mary Jane with. So, um, Ugh. okay. Uh, lots of, there was lots and lots and lots of villain shuffling in this film. Uh, of course, early on the rumors were it was going to be the lizard because they set that up with Kirk Connors. Uh, but I don't, there was nothing. I don't think that made it too far, but they did have Ben Kingsley. In talks to play the Vulture, and that was a big uh, story for a long time, and I think, honestly, could have been great. uh, Although we eventually got a really good take on the Vulture that I liked
1: a lot. They'll never see me flying.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Right, the MCU. How does this fit in the MCU? The MCU had the Vulture, and it had Ben Kingsley, but they are different
2: people. Um. Did they also mm-hmm. okay? Am I getting this confused for mm-hmm. when they were talking about making a Spider-Man four? Didn't they also consider Vulture, but they were yes. looking at John Malkovich yes. for that one? Yes, that is correct. Okay, mm-hmm. all right. So interesting. Yes. Um. So Rami, uh,
3: I could find some articles about this, but couldn't find much of the source from the time. One of the things I remember, I was a I was a moderator for um, the Cinema Blend message board at these times. One of the things that was talked about a lot is that Raimi was obsessed with the Spider-Man villains from when he was a Spider-Man fan. So the early villains from the 1960s. And those were the only villains he wanted in his movies. He only wanted the Dr. Octopuses and the Green Goblins and the Sandmen and the uh, potentially Mysterios, although we were all confident that Mysterio could never work on films. And so there was a lot of requests for Venom to be in Sam Raimi's films, and Sam Raimi did not want Venom because he did not know anything about them and so finally um uh i never say his name out loud so make sure i say it correctly um avi arad um yeah okay i I don't know Uh, if it's
2: avi or avi yes uh
3: who we know very well he's the was the creative director of uh, marvel entertainment but um he convinced Raimi that there are villains that fan that are more recent that fans do love uh and told him, you need to have Venom in your films. Fans love Venom. To Rainey's credit, he then went and researched Venom. And he pushed back on Venom. And he's got a lot of quotes about this. Because he said that Venom had no humanity. And he wanted to explore the humanity of his villains. Now, that's just straight up wrong. But that was his his thought process. He, To Rainey's credit, he eventually did go research Venom. And did learn that there was humanity to Venom. And did include him in the film. Barely. Um... So that was how we got Venom and that was basically also how we got the Venom we got at the last second, shoved at the end of the movie. Uh, He decided he did not want Eddie Brock. He wanted a dark version of Peter Parker and so that's how we got Topher Grace um, instead of a more, yes, Soundlord's eye eye is switching because that's... So we got two
1: dark versions of Peter Parker.
3: (laughs) Right. (laughs) He he didn't want, you know, Eddie Brock's a bodybuilder and so Venom is hulking and huge and No, he didn't want that. He wanted another skinny dweeb to be the evil Spider-Man, and that's what we got. Uh, And Soundlord, you've got some stuff on Venom.
2: Yeah, uh, so uh, Venom, the the symbiote in the comics, was originally introduced in the big crossover event, Secret War, which uh, we have talked about on, uh, on on the podcast before. It was one of the first... I don't know if it was one of the first, but it was certainly one of the biggest marvel universe crossovers ever uh at that time this is in the 80s i believe where a being called the beyonder abducted a bunch of earth's mightiest heroes and a bunch of earth's nastiest villains and made them fight on a planet called battle world and everyone sat and had to team up and you know it's been referenced in many of the movies throughout uh throughout the mcu that we've seen uh but as part of the storyline spider-man is up in space and he gets this black suit that gives him extra powers. And then that led into a big storyline in the comics, which Robbie could certainly tell you more about because I'm sure he's read a lot of them, if not I all have. of them. Also, I forgot to say, but
3: this is a good point to bring it up that I know Eduardo will appreciate. Um, the original plan for this film was to have John Jameson come back with the symbiote straight from the 90s cartoon. Uh, which I think they didn't do that, but I think it's wonderful that he was planning on homaging
2: the cartoon. He's the he spaceman. Yep. Delicious. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> continue. Yeah. So, uh, eventually, that le- ended up leading into the original symbiote and Venom storyline in the Spider-Man comics. Now, there have been some interesting retcons to Symbiote history uh, more recently in uh, in Marvel comics. First of all. In the big crossover event, Secret Wars, which involved the collapse of the multiverse and Doctor Doom creating a new planet called Battle World, that was a patchwork of all the different uh, various versions of of the Marvel universe throughout the multiverse, and there's all this weird mashup stuff. There was a tie-in comic called Deadpool's Secret War, which was not actually a tie-in to the Secret Wars storyline that was happening then, but a tie-in to the original Secret War where it was revealed the Deadpool was there all along. We just never saw him because he was conveniently off-panel through most of the entire Secret War run. And one of the things that happens is that Deadpool puts on the symbiote first. And that is what makes the symbiote go crazy and evil. And that's where Venom comes from. So that's one interesting retcon. Another one that I think is very interesting is Marvel just wrapped up about a month ago a massive crossover event uh, called King in Black, which retconned the entire history of the symbiotes. So throughout the uh, 90s, it was revealed that the symbiotes were a species called the Clintar, And I believe Clintar was the name of the planet they were from as well. Well, it was revealed in the in, throughout this uh, King in Black. It's a storyline that kind of started. Don Cates was the writer, and I've talked about him before because he's written... Uh, some really good comics he wrote the thanos comics that i really loved i needed a good run on uh, dr strange as well um but he has been writing venom for a couple years now and he kind of seeded throughout a lot of his stories um the 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 stuff for this um for this event that he was writing thor as well was a, a comic that he was writing recently and it was revealed first of all that clintar is actually the symbiote's word for cage, because what everyone thought was their planet was a cage made of symbiotes that was holding in Null, the god of darkness. And it was revealed that the very first symbiote uh, was created from Null's shadow and forged into a sword. A sword that had appeared in the comics many years before, and it was a retcon to reveal that it was a symbiote. And that sword is all black the necrosword now i am not saying that we're going to get symbiotes in the mcu anytime soon i will say however that we are almost definitely getting all black the necrosword because that is the weapon used by gore the god butcher who it is rumored slash basically confirmed christian bale will be playing in thor love and thunder So it was revealed later that that sword was actually a symbiote. But uh, the whole Gore the God Butcher storyline had already happened. Like I said, it was a retcon. But there's an interesting tie-in to a story that we're probably getting at least a version of in the MCU. And the Venom symbiote storyline. Which brings me to one more thing. (laughs) I said in the first Spider-Man episode that we did... That I was going to give you a Norse mythology fact in every Spider-Man episode. That was something I tried to do and I forgot last week. Uh, So I'm going to give you two this week. Uh, I may pull them up right here. This one I'm going to read uh, just verbatim for you. Um, Did you know that Balder, the brother of Thor, son of Odin, had a dream of his own death? And a seer confirmed that this death was going to be the harbinger of Ragnarok. So Frigga... To protect him, decided to ask all of the beings in the cosmos not to harm Balder. She asked everyone, except for mistletoe, because it was too small for her to be noticed. So Loki tricked uh, the, a blind god named hoder into throwing a mistletoe arrow at Baldur, and it killed Baldur. So Baldur got killed by mistletoe. That's not how I remember Balder dying. Uh, how do you? No. I remember Kratos...
3: Uh, breaking Baldur's neck.
0: Yeah, but what <laughs> happened that Balder didn't have powers anymore?
2: Oh! Yeah! Alright, and the other... Uh, and this is the one that I actually teased in our first Spider-Man episode. This is a thing I learned reading Asgardians of the Galaxy, and I had to look it up, and yes, this is an actual thing from Norse mythology. Uh, there is a ship called Naglfar, uh, which is foretold to sail... Uh, sail to Vigrior, ferrying hordes of monsters that will battle with the gods at Ragnarok. Naglifar is made entirely from the fingernails and toenails of the dead.
1: Good. You didn't have to say that part. That's disgusting. Mm. That's so, very
2: important. Naglifar is Old Norse for nailfarer.
1: <laughs> so here's
3: my question. The fingernails eventually decompose. If you replace them with new fingernails, is it the same ship? Oh. Once the every nails, fingernail has... The been fingernails made. of Theseus. <laughs> Clint are mad because his whole family got dusted.
2: I am fingernail! <laughs> Whoosh! <laughs> um, Alright, that, that's all I have. Well, I liked it. Uh,
3: <laughs> speaking of this film... <laughs> speaking of the film are and we? the villains... Uh, no, but that was important and interesting. Um, we also... <laughs> they also went back and forth on what they were going to do with Harry Osborne. Uh, Raimi decided he did not want him to be another Green Goblin, he wanted to be, him to be his own thing, so he gave him a flying snowboard. His um, own
1: thing.
3: So instead of being the Green Goblin or being the Hobgoblin, they made him the new Goblin.
2: His spikes were on the side of his board. Yes. Uh,
3: with how much is written for this movie, uh, Raimi considered making it into two movies, and I wish he had, um, but he couldn't figure out how to create two climaxes, so it was one movie instead. Uh, which That's unfortunate. When, when we get to the how does this compare to the MCU, I th- think we need to remember this note uh, because I think the MCU would have made this two movies Um, and honestly I think the MCU has never made the climax stop Like not being able to think of a
1: climax stop I just got your line. I need you to stop saying climax (laughs) at this point. Thank you. Okay Um, Anyway so it was one movie Uh, also there was
3: a fallout with Danny Elfin who said that he was miserable working on Spider-Man 2 and never wanted to work with Sam Raimi again Uh, That was big news at the time. Uh, He was replaced by Christopher Young, though, who honestly, I think, ended up actually doing a great job. I think the symbiote theme and the the Sandman theme are pretty strong in this. Christopher Young's original treatment did not have much of the original Spider-Man theme from Danny Elfman, though. And Rainey made him rewrite the score for the film because he wanted more of the music that tied in with the original two films. Which again, and Sam think... Raimi
2: asked him that while he was staring out a, a window in the rain <laughs> and he put his hand up and then and then we fade into Danny Elfman doing the same thing across town. <laughs> I,
3: <laughs> I think that's another how does this fit in the MCU moment as well because Soundlord has talked a lot about part of why there's not a strong connection musically from film to film in the MCU is because of both composers not using a previous composer's work for understandable reasons, and also not being, the the money not being paid to do that. Uh, and I think in this case, Sam Raimi said, no, we need the music to fit with the other films, even if it's a different composer. Mm.
2: And, uh, and I think we've talked about how Danny Elfman and Sam Raimi, they've made up. So Danny Elfman is scoring mm-hmm. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, and he's saying an interview, he goes, oh yeah, I'm going to be using Michael Giacchino's theme. We'll definitely be referencing that. If I remember, this was about the same time that Howard Shore and Peter Jackson had a falling out, and there
3: was a lot of stress of, oh, who's going to score on The Hobbit? And then it was Howard Shore, and that didn't say a thing. But um, yeah, Uh, the movie has a 63% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes and is not necessarily remembered that fondly, but I think you'll find our takes don't necessarily align with not remembering this movie that fondly. Uh, It did make a hilarious amount of money. It broke the single day record on its opening day with one hundred and four million. It then broke its own single day record again the next day with one hundred and eighteen million. That was eventually, uh, and then it set a single weekend record with sixty million, broken by The Dark Knight, and ended with eight hundred and ninety-five million at the box office, the most successful movie of this trilogy.
0: So let's talk about Spider-Man Four.
3: Right. So let's talk about the most successful movie of this trilogy.
0: Woo another long credit sequence that rehashes the past two movies with still frames. Woo <laughs> You know what though?
1: The pro The problem I'm having with these at this point in Spider-Man 3 is that this is the one that it kind of made sense in, but I'm like so tired of seeing the three minute intro from the other two that I'm mad at it. I'm like, Well, this is your previously on Spider in the Spider-Man stories, but mm-hmm. it makes sense here but I still am mad because I didn't need three minutes of intro music.
0: Mm-hmm. After the opening credits, Peter Parker tells us through a montage about how everything is going right for him. Oh, Peter. He's doing well at work and school and his relationship with Mary Jane Watson. For her part, Mary Jane is headlining a Broadway play and Peter goes to see her on opening night. During the show, Harry Osborn sits on the balcony and watches Peter with a bizarre, creepy smirk. Peter sees Harry after the show and attempts to talk to his friend, but Harry tells him to bring back his dead father and leave.
2: (laughs) What a weird (laughs) thing to say to a person. Raise him from the dead.
0: (laughs) Later, Peter and MJ watch the stars together on a web. As they do, a meteorite crashes in the park behind them. A sentient black ooze crawls out of the meteor and attaches itself to Peter when they leave. Meanwhile, escaped convict, Flint Marco, dodges the police and climbs into the apartment of his ex-wife and young daughter. Marco's ex-wife tells him to leave, but he insists he's not a bad person. Before leaving, he tells his daughter he loves her and takes a locket she gives him and vows to find a way to make her healthy again. It's really funny. Like, uh, it turns out that when people do things like steal or do, like, things like this, sometimes they have reasons for the things that they do. What? He's going to become
3: Ant-Man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> While running from the cops, Marco tries to escape in a science facility as they begin an unexplained experiment. And Marco, trapped in the testing ground, the apparatus causes him to dissolve into sand.
1: I like that their safety precautions are so non-existent. Right, That one hey, si- one scientist is like, Hey, something's weird out there. And the other one's like, ah, whatever. <laughs> probably, probably a bird. <laughs> Just go for it. Who the hell cares? Yeah, an but an then you would have created a bird with sand powers. That would have been even harder to stop. It's an intrusion. Just restart ride motion. It's a sandhill cream.
3: <laughs> ah.
1: <laughs> Got him.
0: Peter decides he wants to propose to Mary Jane, and Aunt May gives him her own wedding ring to use. On his way home, Peter is attacked by Harry. Who was using modified green goblin tech from his father and clearly took the strength enhancer?
2: It was clear when he walked out of the chamber with the strength enhancer. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Did you guys get really weird Batman vibes from this new goblin? He yes. had Batarangs, he had the like arm spike mm-hmm. thingies. Yes, like. yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Basically, just Batman,
1: right? Yeah, no, he got these cars. Yeah, the only is... thing, the only like hero that I knew that rode on a surfboard was Silver Surfer. So, and I don't really know that much about Silver Surfer. I know Chris is passionate about him, but like I, that's what I thought of when I saw him on the surfboard, the hoverboard rather, was
2: oh, that's who they're yeah, emulating. I definitely, I definitely thought that too. And then at the end, he becomes Two Face. <laughs> Two face. What have you done with hairy
1: face and scary face?
0: <laughs> <laughs> They've done nothing to you. Uh Chris. Yeah. We have now been introduced to yet another villain and we still have another one to go. Uh <laughs> This movie definitely does have a villain surplus.
2: One could argue that, yes. And I think that was sort of the conventional wisdom at the time is that, well, the reason Spider-Man 3 isn't as good as the other two is because it's trying to do too much. It has three villains. And I think I talked about this on the Homecoming episode, that it's really interesting that we all said that. Then Homecoming comes out and you have Vulture, you have the Tinkerer, you have two Shockers, you have the Prowler, sort of, as well. Scorpion. A oh, Scorpion as well. I, thank you. I knew mm-hmm. I was forgetting someone. Mm-hmm. You have the Scorpion too. So that's six villains if you count two Shockers and the Prowler as well. That's twice as many villains as Spider-Man 3, but it works. Shut up, Robbie. It works because uh, they- Actually, yeah, I agree with you. That does work yeah. in home. Yeah, they, they, well, they, because they use the other villains really well. They don't try to have three headlining villains, and that is the problem here is that you have three big villain plots going on at the same time, as opposed to one villain plot that the other ones tie into naturally. So it's not a problem of, oh, no, we have too many villains. It's that you're trying to tell too many stories. And I think that is one of the things that holds this movie back.
3: Yeah, I I think a lot about... You're completely correct. And I, and I again, think about the... Raimi wanted to make this two movies... I think if you think about this as being, first off, don't make this weird snowboard new goblin thing. Like, make Harry the new green goblin. Have Sandman, who, and I know that Duara is going to talk about this some too, but Sandman could have been given a lot more time than he's given. Uh, He does a fantastic job. Um, Thomas Hayden Church. So you make this movie about Sandman and the fall and redemption of Harry Osborn, and then you've got the symbiote out there for the next movie. Venom did not need to be shoved into this movie. Yeah. Now, I, as a teenager, teenager, yeah, I was really impatient about getting Venom into the movie. Uh, so, I I was excited to have Venom, and I was not patient to have Venom done right. And so, that's kind of, I guess, how things like this happen. Not weren't a teenager. No, I teenagers. was 20 when this movie You were not came a out, teenager. Or... I was a I'm teenager. Talking about, I'm talking about during the development of the movie. Because oh, okay. Yeah, that's fair. I was a teenager when this movie was in development.
2: I was okay. 22 I when it came out. Um, Because they took three years, Spider Man yes. 3.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, But I'll say college. When I was in <laughs> college. Twilight Zone theme. When I was in college, I was not patient about getting Venom done right. So, not that Sam Raimi asked me, but I, impatience is part of the problem, I suppose. But I. Yeah. I'm not a screenwriter, and yet I feel like I can very easily see how this could have had a two-film
1: climax setup. But mm-hmm, yeah, I, I what's think inter- mm. what's interesting to me is that before Avengers came out, I remember this pretty distinctly. I'm gonna I'm gonna cough, but I'm gonna turn away from the microphone. Thanks, Tay. There we go. Um, before Avengers came out, we all had this. Like, I feel like when I say we all, I don't even just mean the four of us. I mean like comic fans all of us had this discussion about like there's no way they're going to make these six uh heroes play nice together on screen and this was avengers this was when there were six of them not a like a fucking slew of them Mm -hmm. and we were we were hesitant to believe it would work and then it worked very very well it was extremely successful we all know that there's no debating and it's it's Weird to think of now because Sinister Six is something that always comes up. And you need a lot of Spider-Man villains for a Sinister Six. You need three twice. Um, And uh, yeah, whoa. (laughs) This is turning into the number 23, the podcast, except with the number three (laughs) instead. Um, And so I think it can be done, but everything y'all just said is completely right. Like you have to strike a balance. You can have six quote-unquote, leading villains, but they have to balance each other out the correct way. Even in Avengers, there were, I'm doing air quotes again, six leading heroes, but some of them, they, they all had a role that made more sense for the whole of the story to come together. And I think this was three stories that forced themselves to intertwine instead of played nice with each other. Mm -hmm. to double that amount for a sinister six would have been hell. If they didn't figure out how to do that balance, I have faith now that they could do a sinister six and balance it properly. Even if they introduced all six of the villains in that movie, I think they could do it. I don't think it could have been done well in 2007. Even if Sam Raimi had a second movie, another movie after this one, I shouldn't say a second, a fourth movie.
3: Well, Unfortunately, I feel like if they're going to do the same as the MCU, they've also done what really made the MCU work, which is have some patience and use some other films to set some of these things up. Because I mean, we'll see how they do it, but we've got, depending on the motivations they come up with, we've if got they the vulture do it. out right, if they do it right, depending on motivations, we have the vulture out there, we have the scorpion out there, could in theory have Mysterio out there, um, could have the shocker out there. Like, I've got four. There's four. I've already got four. Um, And they've already been... We already know where four of them are coming from. So,
1: I don't... Maybe Doc Ock is a five. right. So, I... plus two.
3: Yeah, I think the problem... I think what really... What ultimately worked out so well for the MCU is not feeling like they had to rush to get to the team-up. They did... A little bit rushed to the first one but not not in a bad way and then our ultimate like our ultimate finally seeing a comic book crossover on film moment like it took how long eight years uh before we got there and a whole lot mm-hmm. of films and part of why it worked is because we had had films for these characters to be set up and giving them their own complicated arc wasn't required in endgame and i i think that's some a lesson that it's, probably been learned maybe not well enough because see the dc universe but um um, that that's ultimately what happened here is venom was rushed and harry was rushed and sandman was damaged because of that
1: do you think that people there are people out there like the sound lord who when he hears anybody talk about oh they were just scrolls Then, like, you know, you start start twitching, you get mad. Do you think there are people like that out there for the Sinister Six? Like, goddammit, stop talking about the Sinister Six. It doesn't need to happen in the movies.
2: So I have kind of related to this, relate to the Sinister Six, and I'm jumping ahead to two movies from now, what we're going to be talking about. I am generally a proponent that when you're making a movie – you can't always assume that you're going to get a sequel so that you can't spend too much time setting stuff up. And that was, that's a big problem with Amazing Spider-Man 2 is that they spend so much time setting up the Sinister Six that they forget to make a movie. However, I, talking about making this two movies and spreading the Venom story out across two movies makes sense because you can tell a complete story about Spider-Man and the symbiote that then lays the groundwork for the next movie to be about Venom. And as long as you're not sacrificing telling a complete story in your movie, you can do things that set stuff up later. We talked about this, I think, even with WandaVision, how, yeah, there's a lot that got set up for, uh, for the future with it, but it was still a story in itself. Where, and, you know, we, we compared that to Falcon, Winter Soldier, and and i think what happened here is that they like robbie said they just weren't patient if they had been patient they could have told a good spider-man symbiote story and then the next movie given us a good venom story and instead we got a half-assed spider-man symbiote story and a half-assed venom story and the wise man once said never half-ass two things whole ass one thing and that's 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 i think what happened here except they third-assed three things.
0: <laughs> yeah, you never try-ass it. Three.
2: They one-third-assed? Yeah. And
3: he really... I think we'll talk about this as a good one. Also, they really did, I think, nail the symbiote story. Like mm-hmm. like the Peter Parker half of the symbiote story, I think. Like, they, they knew what they were doing. And then...
2: just Yeah, they dug on this. Mm-hmm. I would argue they didn't completely nail the Spider-Man okay. symbiote story. <laughs>
3: I Obviously, would say they didn't.
0: I think they, they nailed they, it. Nope, that's part of it. That's
2: <laughs> hey, that is no, candy I, I actually. You got any
1: okay. cookies with nuts? Go make me some.
3: <laughs> that that made me uncomfortable at the time, and I feel like has just made me more uncomfortable as I've gotten older. Just that the, the 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 go make me some. Yeah, yeah, You got a milk? I think I would
0: argue even more so about the MCU is that the MCU knows what characters to have in the front and what characters to sort of have in the rear they sort of understand that a lot but like the first avengers does not juggle six characters equally mm-hmm. it juggles mm-hmm. them well but they aren't they don't equally share the screen time the mm-hmm. ones people want to see take up the most time and the ones people are like cool with but like don't necessarily need to be up in the front sorry hawkeye take a little bit more of a back seat in those in those movies and that's okay because the ones that people are there to see, they're the ones getting the most screen time. Right. And that's okay. The problem is, this movie, the villain everyone wanted to see was Venom. And this might make some of the guys on this podcast, maybe, maybe you guys aren't going to agree with me here, but I think if you had a Venom-focused movie and you had Sandman take a less role, and because Sandman at the time was not... People aren't, like, big Sandman fans, right? You could argue that Sandman was a cool guy in in the 60s and stuff, but people weren't like, oh, I can't wait to see Sandman. People were like, oh, I can't wait to see Venom. Also, Sandman is there. I was,
3: but I don't disagree with you.
0: But I think if you had a Venom-focused movie where Sandman was another antagonist in that movie, similar to how you had a Vulture movie where Shocker was an antagonist in there as well, Mm -hmm. you would have been a lot more successful. But when you take this character that everybody wants to see and you make him the, like... Third most antagonist in the mm-hmm. in the movie. Mm-hmm. That's where you run into problems. I agree. Three, this,
2: but... I was just gonna say this is where it becomes clear that Raimi's general disinterest in the character of Venom comes in. Yeah, because I agree. he was because Sandman gets a better story than Venom does in this movie. Mm-hmm. Do I think that if someone were making a movie and decided that Sandman was going to be a secondary, a secondary antagonist to a Venom? That that could possibly be a better movie? I think so. I think this is just where there's a disconnect between what the director wants and what the audience wants. I I imagine
1: it also has to do with the order of operations, right? Like Based on what Robbie was saying earlier, if Raimi already has this grand plan to have a Sandman plot, and then they're like, hey, you got to throw Venom in here, he's not going to throw away his script and start over. He's just going to figure out how we, can he integrate this character that I am told to include into
2: the work I'm already doing. Right. And and in the order of operations, M for Marco comes before S for symbiote. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's
3: true. Well, and additionally to that, Eduardo is completely correct. I believe that a venom focused film with Sandman filling in the plot as a more minor antagonist absolutely works. The only issue while I don't think it works in this movie is because you've also still gotta have that symbiote with Peter Parker section. And you've got a long bloated movie if you're doing that and doing Venom justice, which is why I don't think that could have been done in one movie. And then instead they tried to do it in one movie, and I think that's why they failed.
0: Yeah, I think there's a way to there's a way they might have been able to do it, but I mean, I don't I still don't think we have gotten a real good Venom on the screen. I am sorry mm-hmm. t- if anybody really likes the the Venom Sony movie.
1: Uh, I think it's closer than this is, but you're right. I'm not sorry. You can be <laughs> sorry, Eduardo. I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. I liked the trailer for the new one.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I really like the idea of uh, this guy is carnage. Um, yeah.
3: Yeah, I watched the trailer and I thought, oh, man, I might hate this, but I think I'm going to go see it anyway.
0: That's how I felt about this movie. Yeah. Specifically. Uh so maybe that's just how you have to go into spider movies. You just gotta go Mm -hmm. and go, you know what? I might hate this, but I'm gonna watch it anyway because it's gonna have some stuff that's just gonna make the the Neanderthal in the very back of my head go and he's gonna love this (laughs) (laughs) regardless of what objective thing I'm thinking. So Harry and Peter, they're fighting, right? The two fight to an even match. Before Peter is able to knock Harry from his snowboard glider thingy bobber thing dying. <laughs> the fall causes Harry partial amnesia and he forgets his anger with Peter conveniently. He just, <laughs> I don't remember anything, Peter. I don't even remember
2: my dad, but I remember you and Mary Jane. What's their definition of short term memory loss, right? <laughs> Selective. Do they memory think loss it's or... memory loss that goes away in the short term? Also, while we're at it, it doesn't even necessarily... It's not an
3: important plot to the film. He gets it back pretty quickly. He gets everything back. Not much really happened by Harry forgetting things for a little while, other than it made it convenient to shove him away so we can focus on Sandman.
1: Uh, the part of the brain that got hit was the the section he was storing all of the Peter is Spider-Man stuff. That's what happened. It's just a placement thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Also, something about the... Something about the sound when uh, Peter slings, like, the web as a tripwire and Harry runs into it. Something about that sound is, like,
0: <laughs> well, it's funny really
1: satisfying. They cut,
0: the, they cut the music during that part, too. It's just
1: uh-huh. the sound effects. Yep. <laughs> <Boing>. <laughs> it just stands out.
0: <laughs> Mary Jane's debut gets dunked on by the critics. <laughs> When Peter tries to cheer her up, he makes it about himself and Spider-Man, annoying MJ, obviously. You know what? I'll argue this movie has a villain problem, and not because it has three villains, but because it has four. Because Peter yes. Parker is a villain in this movie. Yes. Because he's such yes. a
2: goddamn idiot.
0: Yes. He, he is, at all
2: times. He's an a-hole before he gets a symbiote.
1: Yes. That's he's so, so stupid. Just <laughs> yeah. like every decision I'm he makes Spider-Man, and everybody loves me this that's a thing when i was that's another reason that this movie hits different for me as an adult is because when i was a kid i was like i guess a teenager when i saw this i was like why is she getting mad at him he's trying to relate and then as an adult i'm like he is not listening (laughs) he he needs to let her talk
0: (laughs) he's so stupid Downtown, a crane accident puts the life of Gwen Stacy, daughter of police captain George Stacy, classmate of Peter's, and girlfriend of Daily Bugle photographer Eddie Brock, quote unquote, because they've only been on a (laughs) coffee date, in danger, but she's saved by Spider-Man. At the Daily Bugle after, Brock undercuts Peter and gets Jameson to buy his photos instead. Both ask for a staff job with the paper, and Jameson says he'll give it to the one who catches Spider-Man in an act of crime. In a lengthy musical sequence, the sand from the site of Flint Margot's accident forms back into a human shape, and he picks up his daughter's locket and walks off.
2: That scene worked. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Peach, it's here for you to talk about this now, but you you felt like this movie was pulling you in two different directions, and I would argue that by this point in the movie, this is still a good movie. Like, at mm-hmm. this point, all the way up until here, I haven't seen anything besides, like, the hairy thing. And, like, I think I'm a little bit more forgiving with the hairy thing than Robbie. Like, I like, is it annoying that that's not Green Goblin? Sure, do I care that much? Not really.
3: Like, I just... Uh, no, it I doesn't... I don't hate it. I just... I don't think it's bad. It's, it's just not as bad.
0: good as it could be. correct sure and that's how i feel too but up until this point i'm like yeah no i'm having a good time with this Mm -hmm. movie but this movie uh, pretty soon is going to take a turn into what is
1: happening (laughs) yeah i think any point honestly is a good point to talk about it because you're right like I, i feel like this movie starts off giving you a false sense of security like you know what maybe this can work and then you know certain parts of it push you in the other direction but as I was saying before, it just hits me differently as an adult. Like I don't, I'm not going to get into specific details, but certain, you know, sad plot points, um, from different life perspectives that I've now had just hit different. And then in general, just the feelings about the movie that I have, I, I think overall it's (laughs) frustrating because I want to be angry at this movie. I guess. I think, I think that's what I want because On the one hand, the things it does well, in my opinion, I think it just does really, really well. And then on the other hand, the things that it does shitty, it is like the absolute pinnacle of shitty. And I would love to see a cut with those things just removed from the movie. Also, the movie is two hours and 36 minutes long. I didn't realize it was Lord of the Rings. Um, (laughs) But like there are things about this movie that are just done so well in particular Sandman's story, in my opinion is just very compelling. I, I like that they have given this villain a reason for villainy. That isn't just mass smash, kill things like, like you can kind of not that we're villains, but you can kind of sympathize with them in a way like you, you don't hate him. You kind of want him to come out ahead at the end in a certain way. Um, I, I also don't mind the Harry plot. I also think that might have something to do with the three main, uh, actors that have come back, um, kind of just touched brushing up on their, their skills in this movie. I feel like, I feel like James Franco has acted a lot better in this movie. Um, I feel like the other two were already improving, but this is their best performance uh, out of the three. And so I think that that helps a lot, too. But then you have to compete with, you know, what you think is a pleasant movie with the most cringeworthy scenes in not just the Spider-Man trilogy, but maybe all of movies, like (laughs) just maybe movies in general. Like people think about that dance scene and they think that's cringy. And one of you said this in the group chat and I was going to say it anyway. So I'll just steal it because the listeners aren't in the group chat. (laughs) <laughs> the, the dance scene is not that bad compared to the bar scene afterwards no. I it is say, so mean compared awful. to the
0: other dance scene
1: yes but <laughs> it is so awful like for him to not only is the point of the bar scene awful because all he's doing is going in there to flex on Mary Jane, but the now dig on this and then the snapping and then he takes off his jacket and Gwen stays, his hair whooshes back and then he's <laughs> dancing off. It's so, so bad. I like had to look away from the screen at points. I was embarrassed to be watching it. Um, we've, t- we're going to talk about venom even more. I'm sure later, but like venom mostly kind of just being wasted because he was one third asked uh, when Spider-Man stopped in front of the American flag. I wanted to throw up. Um, also any movie where cheating is a plot point, that makes my blood boil a little bit. Like I find that cringe worthy. I didn't I didn't like Spider-Man laying the their kiss on Gwen mm-hmm. Stacy. And I didn't Mm-mm. like and I didn't like Mary Jane retaliating by visiting Harry and kissing him in the kitchen either. Mm-hmm. I I that's not I'm not a fan of stuff like that. And that's and that's why I'm like, should I hate this movie? Should I not hate this movie? Because it's just those two extremes, like, at war with each other. I I just want the good parts of this movie. I don't want any of the bad parts, but I'm sure a cut like that doesn't exist. Yeah, I agree with that. It feels like the Star Wars prequels to me in that sense. There are other cringe moments, too. Those are just the ones that stand out to me. I, Mm -hmm. You know, I... Man... I I guess it's one of those, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. That's probably what I should say, is if I were the parent of this movie, I would be disappointed in it and not angry with it. And then, you know, that's worse.
0: I think I agree with your overall sentiment, but I disagree with some of the details. And so, like, I agree with the overall sentiment that there's a lot of good and a lot of bad in this movie. Personally, for me, what I've had a really big struggle with is that I really like all the bad stuff in this movie. Not because it's not bad, but because I really enjoy watching. Like it's like watching like a fire, like you're watching like something like burn, right? Like you're just just (laughs) enjoying the smoldering ash, right? You're just through. Yeah.
3: (laughs) I think we- You're tearing me apart, MJ.
1: I think (laughs) we have opposite reactions to stuff like that. Like I know people, there are people that enjoy train wrecks and there are people that are embarrassed to look at train wrecks. I am the latter. I'm one of those that like, if something secondhand embarrasses me, I don't want to watch it. But you might be like, oh, that's hilarious.
0: (laughs) Nothing in this movie embarrassed me, to be honest, because it was so outlandish that I didn't feel secondhand embarrassment from it. Uh, like it. It it was so absolutely nonsensical that it just made me laugh. Like specifically, there was one part where Peter is swinging through the streets of Spider Man, and then he just, for some reason, stands in front of an American flag. And I don't know why, but I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever (laughs) seen in my entire life.
3: You know, I remember when this movie first came out, there was a lot of discourse about that shot because it was a whole lot of people of, oh my god, this is gross, and a whole lot of people like. Uh, you don't get Sam Raimi. It's, and Eduardo is definitely a get Sam Raimi, and Peach is definitely an oh my god, that was gross. There was a ton of, con- this exact conversation was all over movie message boards uh, at the time. The, the I,
2: Americans- I feel like at the very least, you gotta give Sam Raimi credit for going for it. Yeah. Yes. Whether it was a good idea or not, he went for it. Yeah. And, and I think in this movie, you see instances of it working, and instances of it not, and... I don't want to get too much into the dance scenes yet because we will we'll definitely talk about those when we get to them. We'll dig on them. Um, oh, yeah. Get your shovels, boys. Like the cop who gets a shovel when he stands on top of the sand truck. Um, well, no, no, he doesn't just get a shovel. He, like, is going to stab whoever
0: this person <laughs> is in the sand. He goes to stab <laughs> it in the ground. What are you doing? You're going to murder this man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Wow. Wouldn't be that much of a departure.
1: Mary Jane also, though, I love that. <laughs> I love that that Flint runs around the truck, and the police are on the other side. And instead of thinking that he just kept running down the street, they just assume he went into the truck. He must have gotten in the sand yeah. truck. Yeah, he. <laughs> why did he do that? I why don't did know. That
0: man go into the sand. What is he? Whoa. Some kind of sand man. <laughs> Mary Jane is let go from her play after the reviews. In a park, a festival is put on to honor Harry, or to honor Spider-Man, excuse me, <laughs> MC by Gwen Stacy. Happy Harry Day!
2: <laughs> this will be a day to remember, or will it?
0: While MJ opens up to Harry about her firing, Spider-Man, upside down, kisses Gwen for the publicity because Peter Parker, once again, is the biggest goddamn idiot in this whole movie. <laughs>
2: Smartest ca- character in this movie is that kid. No Spider-Man, don't. <laughs> okay, first of all, all right. Here, mini rant. I, w- I won't take it up too much of your time. But why did everyone start yelling? Kiss her, kiss her. Why? Right? why was that a thing? Wait, that what's, what's happening? Why yeah. did he go along with it? My problem. With, one of my big problems with this movie is that so many of the things that happen are just contrived, mm-hmm. and you can get away with. With a few contrivances in any plot. Absolutely. But when you start having your characters do things that you wouldn't expect them to do. Like Peter Parker being like, yeah, let me kiss this hot blonde girl. Uh, I don't have, you know, I'm not over the moon for Mary Jane. I know I'm not going to hurt her feelings. I'll just kiss her. I'm not about uh, to propose to her. Our special upside down kiss. I will share that with these people. The the kids will love it. Um, also, how do they know about that? It was in an alley in the dark in the rain. I don't think. I don't think. Oh, I didn't think they were supposed was to know about to it. imply that they knew what it was. But it just, it just is so clearly an obstacle created just to break them up for a little while so they can get back together later. And it's just really annoying. And you feel like they made them kiss just because. Well, it's Gwen Stacy, so we have to have to have them do something because that's how it was in the comics, and it just doesn't make any sense. For what we know about the characters or anything that we've seen in this movie or uh, it just it, it's just a really annoying plot complication for the sake of having a plot complication and that that's what annoys me about it.
0: Yeah, and yes. there's also if you watch as Spider-Man is swinging in, I don't know what directions they gave the people on the stage and I don't know if you were watching the people on the stage, but they go nuts when Spider-Man <laughs> is swinging. They're, oh my it is very funny. Once again, like the movie uh, is a comedy first, and it succeeds in my book.
1: Eduardo, I'm picturing the the guy from Avatar who every time he sees Ang yeah,
0: is like at the mouth. It's basically that, but that's everybody on the uh on the stage there. It's very funny.
1: I also love that before he swings onto that stage, he does the Peter Parker thing that we all bash on him for all the time, where he lands 20 feet away from the people on the ground without his mask on. And he's like, I'm about to swing in. This is going to be cool. Put your (laughs) fucking mask on, bro. Right. (laughs) What are you doing? Yeah, I do like that
2: the 60s Spider-Man theme is an in-universe song for Spider-Man though. Well, my question about this is the only other two times, because we hear it once in every movie and it's, Street performers singing it the first two times. Are they getting royalties? I hope they're making money off of this. The marching band is now playing it.
0: As MJ storms off, Flint Marco robs an armored car, showing off the ability to turn his body into individual pieces of sand to create any shape he likes. Spider-Man attempts to stop Marco, and though Sandman tells the wall crawler he doesn't want to hurt him, he easily is very much able to smack the hero around. Also, he's like, I don't want to hurt you, but I'm going to. Uh, In the end, Marco is forced to leave without the money he's attempting to steal, while Spider-Man has to save the lives of the driver and guards. At a fancy dinner, Peter attempts to propose to Mary Jane, and this is where we get our third, um, not Mephisto, Mysterio uh, cameo, where he plays the the garçon. And all of that is also hilarious. You know what, like...
2: Oh, Bruce Campbell, yeah.
0: (laughs) All of that is hilarious, and I... I feel like maybe this movie would have been better if, and I don't think this is a controversial statement, we've already talked about this movie needs to be split up, but not even from a uh spider-man gets the black suit and then there's a venom movie i think this movie should have just been about peter mj and harry because in mm-hmm. my opinion those are the strongest parts of this movie that relationship mm-hmm. between the three of them is the strongest part of this movie and if they would have just revolved the movie around that i think it would have been way better because those parts i ended up really enjoying i really yeah. actually kind of like the even though it's stupid the peter amnesia storyline not peter harry amnesia storyline where he gets his memories back and then starts to like fuck with peter like i think that's like actually kind of an interesting story to to tell and then they're just like all right well we're done with that one because we got to go back to sandman and uh and Mm -hmm. venom so we're gonna just have peter blow up harry's face and call that the end of it
2: yeah this scene actually might be One of the best scenes in the movie the the comedy of the waiters coming in and then him shooing them away like every time is really funny. And it's so well done where the maitre d looks so annoyed, like, no, of course you're not supposed to be here yet. Go, go.
0: Well, and they did a really good job playing Peter being a nerd because it's clear that Peter has never talked to a woman in his entire life. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't. Well, not even just a woman, just a person. He's never talked to another person, a living being in his entire life because he doesn't know how to speak (laughs) words. correctly because he's so stupid why is he so stupid (laughs) god he's dumb (laughs) and then obviously because the world works in funny ways gwen stacy is at the same restaurant And MJ confronts him over the kiss, and an argument starts. Not just that, but if you watch the scene, Gwen Stacy walks over, and she puts her hand on Peter's shoulder, and until she leaves, she doesn't stop rubbing Peter's shoulder in front of MJ, and I was like, oh, God. Well, MJ
3: MJ calls it out because she says she had her fingernails all over you, or didn't you notice?
0: It's... (laughs) I, I was thinking about myself in that situation. What if I was sitting in that situation and mm-hmm. somebody walked over, uh, you know, some woman that I had some sort of interaction with in the past and my wife is sitting there in front of me and she just puts her hand on my shoulder and
3: then rubs my shoulder in front of my wife. Like, it just... Well, and there's a moment in that that I can relate to. And both of these people listen to this podcast so I could, I could tell the story because it's funny now. Um, but when, <laughs> many, 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 many years ago... Um, I was at a job where I had a girl who I barely knew who had come to see me almost on a on a weekly basis at work just to come talk to me and I didn't really know her she's now a friend of mine but at the time I didn't really know her and I didn't say anything and then I worked with my girlfriend and there was a day that I was not there and the girl who had come to see me came and she came and she talked to my girlfriend and said oh it's, it's Robbie here and oh, I should I don't mean to do your vo- voice like that but um, and she, and she goes and she, <laughs> She's, she asked if I was there, and then later I see my girlfriend, and she then-girlfriend, this is not my current wife, but um, is a friend of Your the show. girlfriend who you married. Yes. <laughs> she goes, uh, why did a girl come and ask about you? And I go, ah, that's just some girl that comes and talks to me all the time and says she's in my fan club. And she goes, you never wanted to mention the girl to me? And, like, I remember this moment of just... No, it didn't occur to me that I should. And now, now, all these years later, I watched Peter Parker, and it seems like Peter, you idiot, you absolute <laughs> buffoon.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Listen, I, I think we probably have all fell into the oblivious man trope at some point. I'm sure mm-hmm. I'll. I could, can, I can't speak for you guys, Robbie. You just admitted. It. I know I have. <laughs> I think at a certain point, though, it, it you. It's like uh, a zero to a hundred, oblivious to, oh. <laughs> and that moment in the restaurant when she is rubbing Peter's shoulder, that's the oh <laughs> moment. Mm-hmm. That should Jesus. have been the oh moment for him. Instead, he's just like, no, this is totally normal. I kissed her. I hang out with her all the time at class. Don't worry about it.
2: She's in my lab partner all semester. She just never came up. Yeah. Oh, I didn't tell you about the model that is my lab partner? Yeah. (laughs) Yikes.
3: What an idiot.
0: Uh, Peter further tries to make MJ struggle about his own life as Spider-Man, infuriating her, and she leaves.
3: Good, MJ. Mm -hmm. Good for her.
0: Later, Peter and Aunt May are called to the police precinct, where they are told the man who they thought killed Uncle Ben was actually just an accomplice to the real killer, Flip Marco, because we needed to retcon this entire story because reasons why did we need this why did we why did this retcon need to happen
2: the answer is it didn't
3: (laughs) so Raimi said it's because he wanted there to be a forgiveness arc for one of the villains and uh and really it ends up being for two of the villains and that's great that's fantastic and i'll talk more about that i'm certain that you could have done that without making him the uncle ben killer. Didn't he do you that with even, putting he, in a
0: dying daughter? Like isn't that the whole point right, of her? Like it right, could like give him like right. a sympathy.
3: And honestly, let's say that he was the accomplice, he was the getaway driver, he was but he wasn't the one that pulled the trigger. He wasn't the one that killed Uncle Ben. Isn't that still something that would have made Peter angry? Would have given him a reason to go after Mr. Black and would have given him something to forgive him over? You didn't It was I know why he did it. He could have accomplished what he wanted to have there a reason for Peter to get over a grudge with Sandman. He could have had that without this retcon. It, you're right. It's stupid. Mm-hmm.
1: Was it something that, like, uh, maybe the actor that played Uncle Ben was contracted for three movies and they just needed to find a scene to put him in? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, how do we put you in this movie again, but not in a flashback? I mean, it is a flashback, but it's not a true flashback because it's not something that we have seen. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I
2: just like why? And then they show it one way and then they show how it actually happened at the end. And Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, by the way, it was an accident. He, uh, my accomplice ran into me, which made the gunfire. So really it was him. He ran into my gun. He ran into my gun
1: (laughs) six times,
0: (laughs) which is now counted the third time that we have seen uncle Ben's death.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: That number three Mm -hmm. popping up again.
3: Whoa.
2: (gasps) Three
1: out of three. That's why
2: in the third Spider-Man series, we haven't seen it.
3: Right. Listen, y'all have seen
2: this enough. (laughs) Yeah. You know. Meanwhile, Batman versus Superman out here, starting out with the Waynes getting killed.
0: Uh, Peter is obviously furious with the news. When MJ attempts to comfort him, he rejects her because once again, Peter big dum-dum. As he (laughs) dreams that night about Uncle Ben's murder, the ooze that came home with him, Near the start of the movie, crawls out of his closet and completely covers his body. Peter awakens, hanging from a building in a black version of the Spider-Man suit, finding himself to be more powerful and agile than ever. He takes a sample of the suit to Kurt Connors, who tells Peter it's a symbiote, and for Peter not to let it touch him. He warns unbonding with it could be difficult.
3: Also, real quick, this is an incredible scientific discovery that Kurt Connors is not... Excited about it in any way whatsoever. It's like, wow, yeah. it's an alien. Don't touch it.
2: <laughs> if it had been, if it had been a physics discovery, he might have been more excited.
0: Spider-Man stops a robbery. When Eddie Brock tries to take a photo of him, he destroys the camera, then leaves to pursue reports of a sandstorm in the area.
2: Oh, and he calls him a chump too. He does. That's how you know he's starting to turn mean.
0: No, no, no. You know he started to turn mean when he does this with his hair. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He finds Marco in the subway and attacks him, able to get the upper hand with his new powers. Discovering water causes Sandman to dissolve, Spider Man rips open a pipe to wash away his uncle's killer in a seeming revenge murder.
2: Yeah, and did he know that he could turn into. uh, Yeah, he did know he could turn into sand when he stuck his head into the subway. That was. mm
0: -hmm. Think, Marco. He's already fought him before.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah, you, he did like, the tried punch, to punch, punch through him through and it him goes and, through yeah. him. Yeah, which is a
0: great move. Yes, yeah. yeah. I know you've talked about Peach that you like Sandman, but I kind of didn't like Sandman in this movie. I felt, I felt like he was the oddest one out out of all of the villains in this movie, and the one that felt the most sort of shoehorned in. Like it didn't fit with the rest of it. Like more than Venom. Yet, yeah. Yeah. I think he's more shoehorned than Venom, but Venom wasn't developed as much. Like, I think he is a more developed character, but I think organically in the story that they're telling, a lot of the the stories they tell about this Peter Parker are about the things that happen in his life. We've talked about this before, but these aren't Spider-Man movies. These are Peter Parker movies, and all of the things that happen in Peter Parker's life that tend to collide with his life as Spider-Man. The disconnect between me and Sandman for this is that Sandman has no real connection with Peter Parker, except that he has now killed Uncle Ben, and that's the, the connection there, right? But if you think about the last two villains that we've had, if we think about Green Goblin, he's... Norman Osborne, Harry and him have had this relationship. You think about Alfred Molina's Doc Ock, him and Harry have this relation, or not Harry, and, him and Peter have this relationship beforehand. You're shown this relationship. And so that means more to you. He, at the very least, Harry has some kind of, I keep calling him Harry. Peter has some kind of relationship with Eddie. He has a relationship with Harry, actually Harry this time, but he has no relationship with this with this Sandman, so there's a disconnect there, and he just becomes a villain, and so he has to be a lot more interesting to kind of to kind of make up for that for me, and it doesn't do that for me. I think there they could have taken more time and really developed him as a character, it made me care a little more because I I think their intention was be like, oh look, he's got a sick daughter, he's not just doing this, but then he then also just kills a bunch of people and does a bunch of bad stuff anyway. So, like, it, there, there's definitely, like, a disconnect there. And I think that's why the, the that character just kind of feels off for me. That's not to say that the Venom character is better, because I don't think the Venom character is better. But I think it makes more sense in this these stories that they have been telling for the Venom character to have been a more prominent villain than the Sandman that we were given.
1: I... I think I agree with your sentiment, but I don't know if I would say that Sandman has any more or less of a connection to Peter Parker's life than Eddie Brock, because Eddie Brock was also just introduced in this movie. They just met at the Daily Bugle and then Peter exposed his Photoshop and now he wants him dead. Like there's not that much of a connection between those characters either. It's just, they happen to be competing for the same job.
3: Right. And I would also argue that Flint Marco has a huge connection to Peter Parker in this movie. It's just that it was forced and unnecessary. But he yeah. does—he killed his uncle. I, I mean, you're not wrong. Whether or not yes. we like the
0: connection. I think the right. fact that I hate it so much probably skews yeah. my yeah. opinion a little bit. That being said, it, That's fair. just because it was introduced in this movie doesn't necessarily mean that there's not a connect. Like, I think, one, I think Topher Grace, for all of his poor selection of movies to do uh actually does a decent job with what he's given I think Topher Grace's acting is actually pretty decent in this I think he's given a lot of really bad lines I think he's given a bad story but I think he's doing a really good job and I think the scenes with him and Peter are actually pretty good I think they play off each other well I think they told him to be an asshole Peter Parker and that's exactly who he was which is sort of kind of just like how he talks on. It. Like, <laughs> it's, like, it's like he's just Eric Foreman out there, right? Like he doesn't do anything different. He's just one of those guys that just kind of plays himself. And that's just kind of what he did there. And I think it worked. And I don't think the Flint and Marco thing worked. I just, my problem, I think my biggest problem with Flint Marco is that I just don't care about him because he doesn't make me care about him. I don't think the actor. I think he was given a good story, and the actor unfortunately wasn't doing it for me. Whereas I think Topher Grace was acting well and was given an awful
3: story. Oh man,
1: I so just the, now I don't agree with you at that's all. That's the
3: first <laughs> thing you've said that I think is a hot take because yeah. I think Thomas Hayden <laughs> It's Church the teacher from EZA. Movie.
1: Yes, I, don't know if you I guys think it, EZA, but he's, he's the, the fight no, no. from Wings. Uh, I haven't seen him in anything else that I know of.
3: Uh, I grew up watching Wings with my family, so that's where I remember him from. And then Sideward came out right before this. and Or not right before this, because Sideward is what got him the role in this movie. Or Sideways, not Sideward. Sideward's a brewing company. Sideways. Um, oh, that
2: movie with the rhino.
3: Yes. Yes, the movie with the rhino. Um, so yeah, I, don't, I, I agree with you, Eduardo, that he is not given enough time in this. And I completely agree that that hurts how he fits in the film. Um, I agree with what you're talking about with the connections. Although what I disagree with is he does have a connection, but man, I disagree about how Thomas Hayden Church plays it because I think it's fantastic.
1: I just looked him up. Literally, the only movie that I have seen that he's in is this movie. Wow. Uh huh.
0: I don't know, man. He's just he plays it so serious. The like he does, he's to me, he's one note. He is the same throughout his entire performance. And to me, not showing anything else except for uh, no parents, you know, oh, God, everything's awful all the time. Like, I I don't see that. The only time you get a little bit of it is with his daughter, but he doesn't actually really say anything to his daughter. He just looks at her kind of seriously and then takes a locket from her. Like, he doesn't... I don't get anything else from him, and so I don't... He doesn't feel like a person. He feels like some, like like a caricature of someone who is a serious supervillain. Now you guys can disagree because it looks like all three of you are disagreeing and that's okay.
1: I new- just don't know how I, I'm thinking about like our comparison litmus test at this point. I'm thinking about Eddie Brock and he also acts the same the whole movie. He's a smarmy asshole to Peter. And, and then he turns sure, into venom he, and he's, he's still gives, a smarmy he asshole. A little
0: more. He gives you a little more range. I think there are parts where he's happy, where he's he he? kind of gross, where he's angry. I think you get, more levels whereas sandman is angry or angrier and those are his levels
3: he's sad too
0: yeah Yeah, his thing is that he's just sad the whole time right
3: like he's just sad and angry i just like when spider-man says i'm the
2: sheriff around here and he just responds with okay (laughs) (laughs) i what i like about him i mean i actually do like his storyline what I think is interesting about him compared to Doc Ock or Green Goblin is that he is just a a criminal who is, you know, trying to get this money because his daughter is sick, who is suddenly turned into a supervillain, and he almost doesn't seem to know what to do with himself about that. He's just suddenly thrust into these circumstances of, oh, now I have these powers. Cool, I guess I guess I can use them to steal the money that I need. You know, but he doesn't go. He's a street-level villain, a street-level supervillain that Green Goblin, Doc Ock were not. And, you know, I think that is something that I like about Spider-Man's rogues gallery is that you have characters like that. And it was a, it's a nice change from the, you know, he's not the scientist who has created his own undoing. He's a victim of science, if you will. I don't know, I think that's an interesting A victim contrast. of ignored
1: safety protocols. Yes, yeah. Well,
0: I'm glad you guys like Sandman, because I didn't. Uh, <laughs> Peter tells Aunt May that Spider-Man killed Uncle Ben's murder. And instead of feeling better, she tells him Uncle Ben would be disappointed if Spider-Man was a killer.
2: Boom, Sandman. Aunt May coming out strong against the death penalty. Again, what a dumbass Peter
1: is. (laughs) His aunt, his loving aunt, is going to be like, oh, hell yeah, you killed that guy? Give me a high five! smoked him Mm -hmm. real good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Good for you, buddy. I mean, good for Spider-Man, buddy. I definitely don't
2: know you're him. Yeah, Peter's dumb for not realizing that Aunt May knows, I think, because it's really unclear if he knows or not. Yeah! Yeah, that's also dumb. She, she made it super obvious in Spider-Man yes. 2.
1: Yes. He is completely oblivious about everybody that knows about him because he keeps showing up places without his damn mask on. <laughs> like right mm-hmm. in front of everybody.
0: Feeling distant from Peter, Mary Jane goes to spend time with Harry. The two Good get call. along well, then lose themselves and kiss. Flustered, MJ leaves and Harry turns to alcohol. Good call. As he drinks, Harry's memories return, and he is reminded of his vow to kill his best friend to avenge his father. While Mary Jane listens to an apology voicemail from Peter in her apartment, Harry attacks her, saying he has, she has to do something for him to save Peter, Parker's life. MJ calls Parker to the park, <laughs> where she tells him there's another guy, and they have to break up while Harry watches. Weird. After... Peter and Harry talk at a coffee shop where Harry tells Peter he's the other guy. When Peter (laughs) leaves upset, Harry indulges in a piece of pie that he just finds so good. So good.
1: (laughs) And that wink, that classic, which is now a meme, turn around, smile, wink, and then disappear.
0: Uh That night, with full-on emo hair... Peter confronts Harry in his penthouse. The two engage in a vicious fistfight. When Peter wins, so I figure this
2: is what made Danny Elfman quit. When Sam Raimi's like, "Okay, so they're gonna fight, and I want it set to jazz." <laughs> Elfman's like, "I'm out." <laughs> Foreshadowing.
0: When Peter wins, he begins taunting Harry, telling him his father hated him. As he leaves, we'll
3: Alan Jr. gonna cry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: This movie's hilarious. As he leaves, (laughs) Osborn attempts to throw a pumpkin bomb at Parker, but Peter throws it back in Harry's face as it explodes. At the Daily Bugle, Brock gets the staff job after creating a fake photo of Spider-Man robbing a bank. Peter exposes Brock and gets him
1: fired. I was not clear on that part, and I don't know if it was clear for you, because Peter is in the midst of being a complete asshole because of the symbiote, Um is that actually a photo that was faked by Eddie Brock or did Spider-Man go and take a picture that was similar to make it look like he it? I think it's
3: supposed to be an actual fake. It's supposed to
1: be an okay. actual fake because he, he says, says he
0: took that photo. It's, from, it's a photo that Peter took a long time ago. Okay.
1: Well, I know he said that, but my thought was either Peter is just being a dick because that's his theme right now or this is showing, yeah, Eddie Brock is also not a well, great person. Well, we,
3: we, I assumed it was in the Bugle archives. We know that okay. that Spider-Man
0: didn't actually rob a bank. So,
3: mm-hmm. yeah,
1: also correct. Yeah, that's So, um, that's
0: unless true. Peter created a fake photo of a fake photo, I think it's probably <laughs> a real photo.
2: Okay, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and they did have that line about how forensics proved. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Enhance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I could tell by the pixels. <laughs> Also, I've seen a few Photoshop's in my day.
3: Did not catch this at the time, but when I was researching the production of this movie. Uh, this scene was supposed to be a uh, commentary on how the new news media had st- and the internet had started photoshopping stories and images, and, and how the paparazzi treated celebrities and stuff like that. this. Was supposed to be a whole commentary on new media. So, hmm. I don't know if that was successful, but it was what they were going for. Hmm
2: okay good because i was actually going to ask if that came from the comics or not no eddie brock being like that much of a jerk no 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 no. okay
0: after eliminating his rival peter pops his collar and goes out on a now infamous montage of dancing finger guns pointed at strange at women who are freaked out at him and uh, incredible confidence Taking photos of black suit Spider-Man violently stopping crime and demanding the staff job at the Bugle. Look, guys, <laughs> this montage has been memed to the tenth degree. Right? Mm-hmm. I I will defend this montage till the day okay. I die and say it is great. I think you will not have to defend it from me. It is fair I will join
2: you in that fight. It mm-hmm. is so You good. have my sword. My all-black necro it sword. It is
0: so, so, so stupid and so funny that it deserves mm-hmm. to be preserved in a time capsule for all eternity.
2: So, I was going to say, when we were watching this morning, Angela said, okay, I never had a problem with this scene because I think mm-hmm. we're supposed to be reacting the same way those women are. And I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. I think you're absolutely yeah, right. Yeah, we're all
3: supposed to be like, what the <laughs>
2: Like, I'm, glad huh? both,
3: I'm glad you both said that because that's one of the like secret spots in this that I feel like people never notice. Like he is annoying and confusing everyone around him. And like I think that's an important part of what's going on here. This isn't, wow, look how cool he is. This is wow, uh, he's even worse. <laughs> yes, right. Uh-huh. On top of that, I think I absolutely think this is okay. I think what happens is people in their memories, because it's coming up soon, conflate this with the jazz scene. I think, mm-hmm. and I think even Into the Spider-Verse does that. Into the Spider-Verse references this shot, but I think what Into the Spider-Verse is thinking of is the jazz scene. And I think- I disagree. I think, disagree. They up, I
1: think, think so? they're making fun of it because that's what everyone remembers and they want to forget that the jazz scene ever happened so they don't <laughs> even mention yeah, it. Yeah, that's fine. I think
3: that's I a say.
2: fair argument Yeah, too. that's fair. <laughs>
3: but I think that's what happens. I think people conflate this in the jazz scene. People have probably not watched this movie as much as some of us. And so I think that's fair to like, yeah, I saw it once in theaters and remember that scene where he changes clothes and then he's dancing jazz. Like, no, those are separate scenes. And one of them is kind of funny. And one of them is no. <laughs> so, yeah. so if nothing no, I, else, I you have
1: to, you have to respect the confidence that that man has just walking down the street and dancing uh-huh. in front of New Yorkers. I would never have the guts to do that.
0: <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> what someone who, has never had confidence in their life, thinks confidence looks like, right? Yes. Can, can confirm. Like <laughs> someone who is like just has never no. never understood what that feeling yep. is like. They're like, oh, yep. that's it must feel like this. It must feel like you pointing your fingers uh-huh. at people, popping your collar, dancing, doing yep. whatever you want.
3: Yep. Yeah, I mean, yes, he's lost Mary Jane, but his life is going. Real swimmingly right now. Yeah. And, you know, I can remember the first time my life started going swimmingly. I was probably, unfortunately, not too far away from obnoxious Peter Parker.
2: It's... You're painting yourself in a great light today. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I'm... Oh, well, then let me try again because I'm not trying to do that. I remember
1: chocolates.
0: <laughs> During the montage, Kurt Connors tries to explain to a bored Parker that the symbiote amplifies aggression in its host. Peter arrives, or Peter invites Gwen to a date seen by Eddie Brock. The two go to a jazz club where Mary Jane is currently working as a singing waitress. While she sings, Peter interrupts her performance with his own absolutely over the top dance, humiliating his ex. This is the piano awful and. I also love it. I think it's so bad. Oh no! <laughs> I think it's so 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 bad. And I thought it was so funny because of how awful it was.
1: Now dig on this.
0: Yes, that's so. It's so <laughs> stupid. And like, I need to. I need to be clear when I say when a lot of the things that I like in this movie, they are not things I like because they are good. I like them because of how stupid and nonsensical. And I, I can see what they were going for and how clearly off the mark they were. And it is just so funny.
1: I think the problem for me goes back to the whole like uh, just the the disrespect and the it's not cheating at this point, but the whole plot of that kind of stuff bothers me. If this scene had nothing to do with him flexing on MJ using Gwen as a uh, like a piece, I know that sounds awful, but he's being awful. Mm-hmm. I think I would also feel the same way. I also would probably laugh at it, but the fact that he's doing it in this just super douchey way is what really makes me hate it more than anything.
2: Yeah, The uh, so the meme, they call him Bully McGuire in the memes. <laughs> i <I'm> the over- <laughs> people will like cut him out of scenes from this movie and put him in other movies so you have like bully mcguire fights thanos so you have him doing this oh i saw that he's swinging yonder around i'm gonna put some dirt in your eye yeah exactly (laughs) um so the bully mcguire scenes for me they're like bad good bad him stopping in the alleyway And looking in the mirror and being like very deliberately giving himself emo hair is stupid. Him dancing down the street is hilarious and good. (laughs) This scene is bad. And I have a theory. And if you look, if the three of you looked at the notes, you're probably like, what the hell does this note mean? And I will now explain. Hold on. Hold that thought. Eduardo, read literally the next line out loud for him real quick.
0: The one that says Chris discussed the Enchanted Tiki Room under new management?
2: Yes. Okay, go ahead, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a theory that the medium in which a story is told will affect one's perception of it. And you can do certain things in certain media that you can't in others. So at the, at Disney, at, at the Magic Kingdom for a long time, so there is the, the... I'm going to try to give the briefest primer... The Enchanted Tiki Room, Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room, was a classic attraction, opened at Disneyland in the 60s. It was the first one to use audio animatronics. It was a big deal. Uh, And there was a version of it at the Magic Kingdom in Florida as well. In 1998, was it? Somewhere around then, um, they decided that they needed to revitalize the Enchanted Tiki Room for today's audiences to make it hip and cool. And they did that by re-christening it the enchanted tiki room under new management, and adding in Iago from the Aladdin movies and Zazu from the Lion King, and the whole show is about them coming in and trying to make the show hip, and why that's a bad idea. Iago comes in, and he's like, "Oh, I'm a big movie star, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do all this." And Zazu's like, "No, you don't change, you don't mess with the tiki show. You, you don't, you don't do that." And then. Iago gets punished by Oa, the Tiki goddess of disaster, as one does. And they learn the lesson that, you know, they shouldn't change the show. But in doing so, they had changed the show. And people did not like it. I have a theory that if they had released this as an animated short, the, Dis- the same Disney Park fans who absolutely hated Tiki Room Under New Management would have loved it they would have said, oh, what a great, funny idea for a show. But when you actually put it in the theme park and replaced the original show, it made people mad. So now I'm going to talk about comic books and comic book movies. With comic book movies, you only get one or two chances to actually tell a story because it's big and expensive and complicated. But in comic books you could have three different Spider-Man books running at the same time. And each one can kind of tell a different kind of story. And you can feature Spider-Man in different characters' comics as well. And you could have one that's a bit more comedy-oriented and one that's a bit more drama-oriented, and they're both valid interpretations of the character, and people would like it. And I feel like what hurts this is is that it is totally tonally inconsistent with a lot of the movie. The symbiote is evil and is amplifying the bad parts of Peter Parker, but it just makes him annoying until he's cruel to Mary Jane, but still in an over-the-top ridiculous fashion. And it just doesn't quite mesh together. Whereas like if this story had been told in a comic book, and let's say it was happening across multiple issues, and he had one issue that was meant to be a little sillier, you could get away with that and people might like it. But when you put it into a movie and this is the one chance that you're getting to tell the story this way, it doesn't work. That's not what you wanted to see in the movie. And, and I feel like that he, I feel like Ramy was maybe kind of, and as I feel like he has through the three movies has tried to capture the tone and spirit of the comics. And sometimes he does that through over the top villain dialogue Sometimes he does it through, you know, dramatic, heroic moments with Spider-Man. And sometimes he does it with silly interludes. And, it, and in this case, it did not work. And I have a specific comic example. I'm going back to Don Cates here. I mentioned his Doctor Strange run earlier. And in that Doctor Strange story, there is my is two, two of my favorite pages in comic book history. Where... Loki has become the Sorcerer Supreme. Doctor Strange is now a vet who uses his magic powers to talk to the animals to cure them. He has a friend who's a ghost dog. It's great. Um, Doctor Doolittle. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and Do- Spider-Man um, ends up having to... He's looking for Doctor Strange because he needs him. And and he's, he's helping Doctor Strange. And at one point he says, hey you could talk to animals, right? Could you make me talk to animals? I've just always wanted to talk to a spider. And then there are two pages where the art style completely changes. They bring in a completely different artist from the rest of the issue. And it's just two pages of Spider-Man talking to a spider and Spider-Man is in a Spider-Man suit. He's wearing a sweater and they're like playing catch in the park. And it's really silly. And then it ends with like this real gut punch, emotional uh, <laughs> thing. Uh, For those of you in the Discord, I will post it later. Uh, So there's your incentive to (laughs) join our Patreon. You can see what I'm talking about, or you can Google it and find it very easily. Um, But it's a weird out-of-left-field interlude. And because it's in a comic book, it's great. And it can be great. Something like that could be great in a movie as well. just, Just this one does not work because it kind of undermines the characters and the tone that it's going for. It can be a good enhancement, but it just does not work as a movie scene here. So those are my wild plot points all brought together into one thing. <laughs> I'm and just really angry. Went... Uh, go, you go. I was just going to say, I'm mad at you for reminding me of Underdy Management. I'm sorry.
1: They just, they they wanted to make it a plot point that he needed to hurt MJ, and they took it 95 steps too far.
2: I agree. Yeah, yeah. It could have been done if it need that scene needed to be treated with more seriousness than it was.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. When you kept the goofy tone from before, which worked for that scene, it didn't work in this one. I agree with that. Eduardo loved it though, so it's okay. <laughs> We're having a stare down.
3: <laughs> so, it's very specifically, did you like when he takes his jacket off and it blows back? Literally blows back Gwen Stacy's hair. Okay. Yes, <laughs>
0: I liked all the stupid things of it. Uh, I mean, look. Do I like when he hits MJ? Of course I don't, right? But it is a movie. Yeah, he would full I'm Hank Pym, you never go full Hank. Like, I'm watching a movie. I'm not watching a person hit another person for like for like. There's not a real person hitting a. That is fictional. Peter Parker hitting fictional Mary Jane, right. and I can be be like oh that's that's not cool but like it doesn't like ruin the movie for me because it's not real it hasn't happened so that it doesn't it doesn't bother me as as much uh and so the scene is still funny up to that point and then it gets kind of gross but then like does it make the stuff that happened before not kind of funny still at least for me i don't
2: know here's the thing is that it's funny but for me it's not funny in a good way (laughs) Whereas the previous scene is funny in a good way, yeah, it's, yeah, it's secondhand embarrassment. It's funny, funny in a oh my god, I can't believe they did this way.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I think they're all just funny because they're stupid. I don't know. I I think the 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 thing for me is I think they're both the same for me in the same category of this is so bad. I think it's funny. Hmm. I think they are both in that category for me. Where like,
2: okay, see, I think I they, I genuinely think that the street dancing scene is well executed funny and i think this is what the hell funny so yeah maybe, so that's, I, where the, yeah, maybe the, that's where the, the, that's where the is. i think they're both us. just
0: really bad that they're funny okay rather than being impressed like everyone else on this podcast at this last scene and me uh, gwen apologizes to mary jane and leaves when he leaves to confront mary jane peter loses control and knocks her to the floor Horrified by his behavior, Peter runs to a nearby church and attempts to pull off the symbiote. While he struggles, he hits a large bell. The sound causes the symbiote pain, and he is able to pull it off. As he does, Brock arrives at the church to ask God to kill Peter Parker.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a... so
1: extra, <laughs> right? <Yeah. clears throat> Not, man, he really wronged me. Hope uh, God, can you make him lose his job or... Man, can you help me get
2: back on my feet? It's could you murder that guy? He looks up at the cru- at Jesus dying on the cross and is like, "You like killing people, right?"
1: Ah! <laughs> I mean, uh, I think. Okay, never mind. Backing up. Beep beep beep.
0: <laughs> my nephew, uh, when he was really little, he was really into dinosaurs, and he used to growl at everything. Would just do dinosaur growls. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't talk. He would just That's to everything. That's <laughs> awesome. You'd look at him and he'd just go, it was just all he would do. And one time he went to a Catholic church and his mom was like, We need to go. And just before he walked out, he looked up at the very specific Jesus on the cross thing and went,
2: <laughs> That's awesome.
0: <laughs> and it's like I'm gonna start. The, the, the Catholic Jesus on the cross are always like very like graphic. They're very like uh-huh. the nails are in there, like the blood coming uh. out of the hands and feet. Like uh-huh. it's very it's got the, the the crown of thorns and stuff. Uh-huh. And he just <laughs>
2: I'm imagining first communion, the body of Christ. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Someone in the corner that day was like, that kid needs to be exercised.
2: Peace be with you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Now, Robbie, uh, the symbiote then falls down on Eddie, slowly transforming into the demonic, sharp tooth Venom. And this is pulled almost from the pages, right? Like, Sam Raimi, to his credit, a lot of the times, Mm -hmm. the big scenes are pulled straight from the comics.
3: Yep. I I really do want to give him credit for that because I'm about to shit on him. But um, he did a great job of a character he had basically ignored by his own admission went and looked at his source material and did a phenomenal job of pulling that and putting it on screen. This, to me, that salmon sequence is fantastic. Uh, but this, to me, is like the peak of this film, this church sequence. And uh, Soundlord and I, in the, in the chat, we were talking about it, and I think what I said is, and I think he agreed, is this scene comes from a way better movie than the movie it's actually in. But it, it, the the visuals are fantastic. The, uh, the emotional weight is fantastic. The score is amazing. Uh, it, not only is it a great comics reference, it's just a great scene. And it's just done so well. And it got me so hyped. Because this was basically in the trailer. And so in the trailer, you knew they were going to do this. And you knew how Venom was going to start. And it got me hyped in the film as well. Like this is, a, this is an awesome origin for Venom. This is an awesome moment for Peter to get out of the symbiote. This is so, so, so great. And then then it's mostly downhill from here because then they waste Venom. And we've already, we've, I think we've now established that Venom is wasted in this film and that's one of the big problems with it. They took... Mm-hmm.
1: Can I interrupt you before you yeah, keep going? Yeah, right go quick ahead. And just, what, what other movie is this scene in? <laughs> 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 Thank you, Peach. Um, so, I, I think. Wait, that was not a joke. Why? <laughs> I don't know. He's
2: oh, he means metaphorically. It feels like it's from a better movie than Spider-Man Three. Oh,
1: I thought yes. you literally meant they <laughs> took a scene from a different movie and embellished it.
3: And I thought you were joking
1: by thinking that. No, oh. guys, you're like. <laughs> why are we joking about me being dumb you're today? Like I the, I the I'm listening to your. No,
2: I'm I'm Metaphor. listening.
1: I'm listening to your literal words and and thinking of them the way you're saying them. I don't...
0: <laughs> I'll tell you what better. Why is Venom?
1: <laughs> All right. Well.
3: <laughs> um, I'm sorry, Peach. I'll, I'll make sure I won't use metaphors that go over your head before you can catch them. I, um. <laughs> okay.
1: Okay. <laughs> I'm what sorry. a weird, what a weird thing to dunk on me for! For I'm
3: not dunking on you.
1: <laughs> I just mean everybody in general. Thank you. <laughs> I'm
3: not dunking on you. I'm sorry. Uh,
1: I can dunk it. Just, all right, was... listeners. In case y'all are also confused, Robbie didn't mean a, a real movie. He just meant <laughs> it was a metaphor. So go on with your point. <laughs>
3: I'm not even laughing at him. You guys don't get to see Soundlord's laughter ruining his webcam. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. So this is the peak. It's fantastic. Um,
2: I, no, he doesn't th- mean that this takes place on an actual map. Oh my god. <laughs> I just want to. <laughs>
3: so Venom is one of the. How far do I have to go? Five, ten most iconic comic book characters? younger than most of the ones on that list but you know of of comic book characters introduced either during or right before our lives on this podcast um he's at the top like basically they took a huge headlining villain and gave him literally just a few moments at the end of a movie uh that's and and there's a reason venom is iconic venom is a interesting and fascinating character he's Not actually a bad guy. He just hates Spider-Man, things connected to Spider-Man, things connected to the symbiotes. Um, He's a little bit unhinged, but he also does a lot of crime fighting. Um, He does a lot of saving lives. He is, at times, the good guy. And it comes to the place of Eddie Brock is not a jerk. Eddie Brock is not a horrible person. Eddie Brock is a uh, a loser. Eddie Brock is a down-on-his-luck guy. And then he gets really powerful all of a sudden and so all that nuance is lost here and some of it we talk about because he was shoved at the end of the film but I don't think you were getting that if he survived to another film because you have made Eddie Brock an asshole you have made Eddie Brock someone who needs to die at the end of the film because no one wants to see him anymore so and that's just really unfortunate because they got there the journey to get to Venom is just fantastic in this movie and then you get that hype moment and then from there it's really meh and it is not Venom and it is not used well and it is not exciting. Um, and they kind of did it with, with I, I don't think it's poorly, but they kind of did it with Green Goblin as well. We got a great moment at the end of the second movie showing us, you know, what Harry Osborne's about to do. And then it's kind of weird when he actually does it. We don't really get another Goblin. Um, his arc is is whatever. Uh, Sandman is wasted because of all of this as well. So we end up just laying the foundation for three great villains and then they all end up petering out as we try and stick the landing. Um, yes, peter, peter out. Um, and I, I just think it's really unfortunate because this is a hugely fantastic sequence and unfortunately it does not... The rest of the Venom... Uh, storyline does not and symbiote storyline does
1: not live up to this moment maybe they gave him um, they gave Sam Raimi more instructions than we realized like you need to put this percentage of your film needs to have Venom in the scenes but I feel like this scene could have worked as this is the end of Venom's in the movie we're not going to see the symbiote anymore it could have been a teaser for the next movie that's where you you divide your movie, your Spider Man three into two movies because Eddie Brock gets consumed by the symbiote, and then if we never see him again in the movie, it's not really a big deal because that is your breadcrumb for the next movie. Mm-hmm. Or it could have worked as a post credit scene, which we weren't really doing at that point. But I almost think it would work that way uh, because then you have a whole movie to develop that very insanely popular villain mm-hmm. that people really want. Well, you gave them the teaser. That that they bought their ticket already. Yeah. After that scene, if the movie didn't have Venom anymore.
3: And and I don't know if I don't know if you guys have read how much you've read of Venom's early days, but when Venom was first in the comics, it was kinda he was used as sort of a shadowy character for a little while, you know, seen off screen, messing with Peter's life, that sort of stuff. Before he really appears and like, here is Venom. And man, I think that would be so good through a movie of something is ha- something is messing with Peter Parker and you don't know what it is until, you know, in the second act you see Venom because um, he's able to mess with him because he doesn't set off his spider sense. Uh, and, and yeah, Peach, I think you're entirely right. I think there were a lot of cooks in the kitchen for this film. Too many cooks, if you will.
2: Mm-hmm. It seems very likely, especially because things have kind of come out recently that suggest that everything that Robbie doesn't like about Homecoming is because of Avi Arad, a very hands-on producer who had very strong feelings about how certain things should be done with Spider-Man. Well, in all honesty, I wish he had not forced Venom
3: in this movie. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. I don't think it was worth it.
3: I love Venom. I regret that push. Mm -hmm.
0: Aunt May visits Peter and tells him he has to forgive himself. She believes in his goodness. At the end of the sewers, Sandman is able to reform as the mud collects and dries. He heads out to find Spider-Man, but finds Venom instead. Brock pitches an alliance with Marco to kill the hero. We kill the Batman. Brock kidnaps Mary Jane, (laughs) and they suspend her from a symbiote web high from the streets in a skyscraper under construction. Symbiote webs are weird. Uh Peter sees the situation on the news and goes to Harry for help. Harry, his face damaged from the bomb, refuses, but after Peter leaves, the Osborne butler Bernard tells Harry, finally, that his father's wounds were self-inflicted.
3: Speaking of contrivances, Sound Lord. Mm -hmm. Yep.
0: Peter puts on his classic suit and swings into action, complete with a dramatic pose in front of a giant waving American flag. God bless America's hero, Spider-Man.
3: <laughs> and I'm and I'm going to be with you on Eduardo. I actually think this moment is intentionally and successfully hilarious. It is
0: very funny. I don't know if it's intentional, but it is very funny. I'm
3: certain I am certain it is intentional. Once again, just knowing the director, I am certain it is intentional. I don't know. I feel not personally knowing the director, no. Yeah,
0: me and my buddy Sam <laughs> <Randy>. <laughs> I talked to him last Thursday. We were at Chili's together. He told me it was intentional. <laughs>
3: Chili's is his favorite restaurant.
0: No, he likes Fridays because <laughs> of the chicken tenders.
3: Oh. <laughs> Speaking of it being intentional.
0: Uh yeah, I've already talked about this some, but I kind of have yeah. trouble being objective with this movie because I just think it's so funny. And it makes <laughs> it like skews my opinion of it. Like it's probably a worse movie. But I had a lot of fun watching it because I thought it was so funny. Like, it kept me engaged with how stupid it was. And so by the end of it, I was like, wait, do I actually like this movie? Not because it's a good movie or, or you know, an objectively good film, but because it's so stupid that I think it's funny and it's fun to watch. It makes it really hard to, 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 to give it a rating at the end and give an MVP and do all these different things because I don't know what to actually score it because, like... I thought it was, I had a lot of fun watching the movie. Does that mean it's a good movie? No, but I had a lot of fun watching it, and I think my rating rating should probably reflect that.
3: I think this will be interesting. I wouldn't mind talking about it when we get to the ratings. I think I actually completely agree with you on what you're saying. It's more that I think where we disagree is the number I apply to a movie that I actually have fun watching is just different from the number you apply to that kind of movie.
0: Also, I can, I'm a simple man. You can please me with a lot of like, really stupid <laughs> stuff in movies and i'll be fine like you could just you could do some stupid and I'll, I'll have a good time with almost anything except for guardians too uh, or that the helicarrier, and the helicarrier. <laughs> <laughs> peter attempts to rescue mary jane but is stopped by venom as venom holds him down sandman transforms to enormous size and begins beating him people all right People talk about the way this Venom looks a lot and say he looks super weird. I don't think he looks that
3: weird. No, he doesn't. Look- I-, I think the webbing and this slight frame makes him look a little yes. weird, but it's not that. I good. don't think he looks that weird. I think the problem is he keeps
2: taking his face yes. off. Yes, yes,
0: that's the problem. Mm-hmm. That's a, a big problem. He keeps taking his face off, and also the suit. Like neck up, he looks like Venom, and then here down, one he gained lots of muscles for no reason because. Eddie Brock in this universe mm. did not have all of those muscles. And two, mm-hmm. you need, and this is a uh, something that the second Venom movie, I think, fixed, but you need the white. You need, did it fix? I don't actually remember.
3: No, I think the second Venom movie has nothing.
0: See, that's a problem. Yeah, because
2: there's no, no Spider-Man movie. in that universe. That's a problem.
0: You need the white. You need the
3: Yes. The, the, yep,
2: the, Venom, the Venom, logo. Venom logo. You need Venom's logo. You yes. need
0: that there.
2: Yes,
3: correct. That is the problem is yeah and also no the the sony venom does not have the logo um yeah that's the problem is that the venom logo is again he is an iconic character he has an iconic look and neither of these franchises
1: decided to care about that it looks like in the venom movie cuz i didn't remember this either it looks like they put a bunch of like white lightning looking streaks mm-hmm. on venom's chest and that might it kind of looks like that's what they're doing to make up for the lack yes. of a logo.
3: Yeah, you're correct. And honestly, I think in your brain that can very easily become, yeah, he had the logo. And then you look at it like yeah. it doesn't your brain yeah. is just kind of
1: filling in that white space. Cause I couldn't remember it all either, but it would be weird given that venom's origin too, mm-hmm. if he just manifested a logo on his chest, because it's like right. an alien body. Right? Absolutely. And in this movie he
3: does have the logo, but it's like thin and dark. So you just don't even really notice it. Um, Yeah, yeah, no, you're right, um, Eduardo. And Peach, you're both right.
0: With the news reporting that this looks like the end of Spider-Man, a pumpkin bomb suddenly appears, blowing up the side of Sandman's face and allowing Spider-Man to escape with his personality completely different and cracking friendly jokes, Harry and his goblin gear helps better. Yeah. That was another big weird thing of this whole scene was that suddenly Harry's not mad at Peter anymore because he asked him to help Mary Jane and he calls him buddy. And like, you can do this buddy and like all this kind of stuff. And like, mm-hmm. no, you're like still mad at him. You just are okay.
1: Saving Mary Jane. Also. It's weird that Bernard the logic that Bernard uses is not really that sound like Mm -hmm. it still doesn't prove that Spider-Man didn't kill Green Goblin just because Mm -hmm. it was Green Goblin's glider that pierced him. Mm -hmm. Like for all Bernard knows Spider-Man could have grabbed the glider and shoved it into Harry Osborn. Like, right. Mm -hmm. It's weird that that is the logic that works, but not when Spider-Man says it. But I guess it's like one of those, well, you're going to defend yourself, but this guy has no reason to lie to me. Still, the logic isn't
2: fully there. Yeah, the problem is is that this could have been resolved in the last movie if Peter instead of saying this is bigger than us said, I didn't kill your father. Let's talk about this later.
3: Did we talk about that last week cuz I know I
1: had it in my notes. And why does he not just say, why does he not just say, wait, no I didn't? Like Well, we briefly, like brought it up briefly. We briefly mentioned it and then moved on. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: It's, it's like the rom-com problem of, oh, a lot of this plot could be solved if people just talk to each other.
3: Mm-hmm. Whatever. We should have stopped talking at the church scene. We all would have loved this movie.
2: <laughs> now it's just going to be Eduardo.
0: Classic. Together, Spider-Man and New Goblin are able to keep Venom at bay, causing Sandman to crumble and move Mary Jane to safety. The fighting moves to the interior, where Venom is able to handle both more easily. Using spears, the spears on Harry's snowboard goblin glider thing, Venom attempts to kill Peter, but Harry throws himself in the way and takes the fatal blow. Remembering how sound affects the symbiote, Spider-Man surrounds Venom with a ring of metal pipes which he plays like giant chimes, pulling Brock out. Spider-Man throws one of Harry's pumpkin bombs at the symbiote and Brock runs at it as the bomb explodes, killing both Eddie and the alien. Flint explains to Peter that he was desperate for Cash to help his daughter and never meant to shoot Ben. The gun went off on accident. Parker forgives Marco and he blows away the wind. As Harry dies next to Mary Jane, Peter arrives and the two apologize to one another and say goodbye as best friends. Now, Robbie, the the theme of forgiveness, you think, is almost done well and then misses the mark at the end.
3: Yeah. Um there's a line in the trailer that I remember it's delivered by Mary Jane and it's delivered very emotionally and I I have to paraphrase it but it's basically um we all have to forgive each other, forgive one another for the things we've done to each other. Um something like that. Basically, you know, we all have to we all love each other, we need to move on. Uh, I believe that line was meant to be. I can't remember where I figured this out once, but I believe that line was meant to be in this moment where Harry is dying. Like Mary Jane was supposed to have a line about "you guys need to get to forgive each other," and Peter, we and I, need, you and I need to forgive each other, that sort of thing. I, I'm assuming it was cut because they wanted this moment to be just Peter and Harry. Um, I, I'm not saying that's necessarily a huge mistake, but that line to me summarizes this movie's theme really well. And it's delivered very powerfully, and so I guess it's just kind of sad it's not in there. And and that's not the reason it doesn't stick the landing perfectly. But on re- the more I've rewatched this film, the more I realize there is you know this is one of those films where you kind of get what its theme is, what it's going for. Some people get it faster than I do. I don't necessarily pick up on these things. Um, but also, Sam Raimi has said it: this movie is about forgiveness. That's why he forced the Uncle Ben retcon for Sandman. Um, we have that with Harry and Peter. We have that with Peter and Mary Jane at the end of this movie. And I really do think that's a powerful concept to center your film around. Uh, sort of like, I, I know how half of this podcast feels about Guardians 2, but sort of like Guardians 2 finding a theme of familial connections. This movie is finding um, revenge and anger and forgiveness connections from multiple different venues of, of that. And I do think it's really close to being very, very powerful. Uh, it, Kind of reminds me of like the Star Wars prequels where you know there's there's kind of this sort of a subtext of the Jedi dogma is really bad for the galaxy and it's probably going to be good if they you know wipe get wiped out but it doesn't really embrace that well enough it's almost like this you have this theme you're really close to pulling off a really interesting theme but you just don't quite get there and I think why it doesn't work in this movie is a lot of stuff that you guys have said how Sandman doesn't get the time he deserves how you're taken out of the movie by the forced retcon rather than buying into his connection with Peter Parker. Uh Harry is all over the place in this film. Um, Peter and MJ forgiving one another and moving on is great. Except Peter was like, not just kind of accidentally awful to Mary Jane. He was completely, horribly, toxically awful to Mary Jane. So it makes it a little bit hard to buy. But it's still there. I still like how this movie really is looking for a very interesting, powerful central theme to weave its character arcs around and then also puts in Venom. Um yet another way that Venom is shoehorned. Uh and I, I don't know, I that was one that struck me this wasn't the first time I ever thought about it, but on this recent rewatch, that was the first time that it really struck me on this is Raimi is going for something in here that I really admire and respect. It just isn't done that well.
0: I mean that's like the story of this movie,
3: right? Yep. Mm-hmm. That exact second, and I forgive Sam Raimi, but well, good.
2: <laughs> then you learned something.
0: Yes. Peter eulogizes his friend at yet another funeral. He then goes to see Mary Jane at her bar, and the film closes with the two dancing together. We can't talk about this movie and finish talking about this movie without talking about the fact that Topher Grace, in doing this movie, killed a beloved franchise as well as a long-running TV show all in one moment
3: what has he done since the only thing I can think of is it was this movie where he's dating Scarlett Johansson while also being Scarlett Johansson's he was h- in an episode
1: Fathers. of Black Mirror too okay he was in uh in like 2018 20... or 19
3: he was in what? Black Klansman okay he plays David Duke so, Do we...
1: so he still does stuff Do we blame Topher Grace for this movie or do we blame Sam Raimi?
0: I don't know if I necessarily blame Topher Grace for this movie, but it's a fun narrative to say it's definitely Topher Grace's fault that that 70s show failed because to his credit, he was the linchpin of that show as we found out because that last season was bad. Uh, (laughs) And he was what was holding that show together. He was kind of the, the through line in that show. And him leaving definitely sunk down and famously, he left to go become to do more major motion pictures. With this being his first one after that '70s show, and I think people tend to be like Topher Grace is it's Topher Grace's fault because the Venom part of this movie is definitely people's least favorite. And I think watching back, I don't know if that's necessarily completely true. I think a lot of it is Sam Raimi being stupid, Um, but you can definitely say Topher Grace had a hand in killing two franchises in the same year.
2: Yeah, I mean, Venom
0: yeah.
3: doesn't work, but I don't think it's his fault. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Topher yeah. Grace is a bad Venom, but it's not that Topher Grace is playing a bad Venom, like, doing poorly. It's that he never should have been cast for the role in the first yeah. place.
1: The uh, anti-corporation in me just makes me think it's the fault of the people who made Sam Raimi play a, play a hand that he didn't want to play. I, These are the cards that you have to play. You can't play that other card.
3: I vaguely feel like I remember some Sony and some Marvel Entertainment meddling in this film. And I, I couldn't necessarily find any leads on that. But I do remember exactly what you're saying being the feel at the time. And that certainly tracks with what Sony has done with Spider-Man since at points. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes it still works out okay. But I I think exactly what you're saying tracks. Sony does not like to... Um, or I should say uh, Columbia does not like to just let the director make a Spider-Man movie.
0: Well, and it's tough because Spider-Man is really, it's a really closely guarded character, Mm -hmm. especially at this time. You know, we talk about the first Spider-Man, the first Spider-Man movie was the first real successful superhero movie in quite some time. And even still superhero movies before this were kind of a joke, right? Like, you would watch, you know, the Michael Keaton Batmans and you'd watch some of these other movies, but they were for niche audiences that thought they were funny and fun and they weren't necessarily mm-hmm. worldwide box office blockbusters, right? But yeah. these movies were um, and they I were mean, cash cows and you wanted to treat them with kid
3: gloves. Right. And that's where I think part of the problem comes from. And I think this is something we sort of talked about before. I feel like a lot of times uh, the creative directors, the executives, and the shareholders kind of come at this from the wrong direction of of thinking they feel like they've got a kid glove and micromanage because this is Spider-Man. We need to make sure you do not screw up Spider-Man, whereas for me, I almost feel like it's more get someone good and give them some creative freedom because Spider-Man is going to work itself out. It's Spider-Man. You don't need to make them micromanage them to get Spider-Man
2: right. It's... Mm -hmm you hire the right person, you're good. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. So how does this compare to the MCU? We've now finished the Spider-Man Sam Raimi trilogy. How does this compare to the MCU? What do we think? What are we thinking, boys? I think it's so weird. It's not as patient.
3: It what? Mm-hmm. It's not as patient. No, it's definitely I think no. when we kind of talk yeah. about that, that's its issue does not allow itself to be patient the way the MCU
0: did. I think there's a lot of that can be attributed to, they didn't think the superhero thing was going to last, right? Like they Mm -hmm. were trying to strike while the iron is hot, while they were still able to, because they thought that the superhero thing would, I mean, and I think for a lot of people, people thought that same thing about the MCU, right? Like they didn't think the MCU would be going on for as long as it is now. They're like- People are going to get superhero fatigue. I the word superhero fatigue come to mind because there's still that. something that is said mm-hmm. to this day. And maybe some people are feeling the effects of it, sure. But it's not like these things are slowing down anytime soon.
1: Right. Superhero fatigue is like a strange yeah. uh, mm-hmm. phrase that I hate because... D- do we not have rom-com fatigue do we not have scary movie fatigue do we like all Mm -hmm. movies can be classified as a genre that you could get tired of a a superhero movie is just an action movie action movies have been around for years and years and years and years no one has said action movie fatigue it's just superheroes right as soon as as soon as someone puts a cape on they're like ah i'm gonna be tired of that guy Mm -hmm. in a year
2: Mm -hmm. and i think that not just the mcu but You know, you look outside of that with Marvel movies, you look at the DC movies for as scattershot as their quality has been. I think they've all proven that you can do so many different kinds of superhero stories and genres within superhero that, you know, it's weird to... They look back at the Westerns, people getting tired of Westerns, and say, oh, that's going to happen. And yeah, and, and I don't think that superhero movies will be the dominant box office thing for the rest of forever but i don't think they're and i could be wrong but it doesn't feel like they're going to go away because i think there is still an appeal and the chance for a lot of variety in the stories that they tell and how are a lot of the like superheroes
1: that we you know podcast about we watch movies about we read books how are they that different from other characters and other fictional works like um in lord of the rings there are characters that use magic Okay, so we've got Doctor Strange, and we've got Gandalf. They're not that different, right? They are different. Yeah, yeah, like, one one they're one different. <laughs> they're different, but they're not, like, they the same genre in a way. Like, people with enhanced strength, action movie characters, you know? Wait, They've is got... Gandalf the whitest sorcerer, then?
2: Hmm. You might be, be on a yeah. something there. keep going, I think keep, you're going right. keep going, keep
1: going. No, that's my main point, is that like there are movies outside of superhero movies where the characters mm-hmm. have powers, the characters mm-hmm. have abilities, and people aren't tired of those either. I just don't... Well, that phrase is so dumb. I think there's also this thought
3: that every superhero movie is the same, and it's like that doesn't have to be the case, it, and, and I think the MCU has proven that.
1: And that's what people time, say who haven't watched any of them.
3: Right, and yet at the same time, I feel like if someone watched the Batman movies, like the 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 original Batman movies, okay, the the 80s and 90s Batman movies and watch these Spider-Man movies, I do understand if they would say these movies are the same, we just, the tone is different and the hero has different powers. But I I would understand if someone says that, wow, um, superhero movies are always the same. And I think part of that is Raimi did some creative things, but I think there was still a, a textbook superhero format you are meant to follow at this point and I think that's another way that it compares, interestingly, to the MCU, because the MCU decided we are going to try and do original and different stories instead of just origin, villain, end, origin, uh, or or struggle, villain, end, multiple villains, struggle, end. Like this, the format that was set forth has been broken to agree by the MCU and crazily crazily been broken by embracing the source material and looking at comic books which is just a mind-blowing idea but that's what the mcu has done that while these films definitely homaged the comics a lot they really still were stuck on how to be a a traditional pleasing action film instead of well look at all these different stories that have been written what if we did different stories
2: And it's so funny to me that people complain about the MCU formula, and I feel like that hasn't been a thing for a while. I agree. I agree. And and that's something we've talked about to death on this podcast, but it still comes up when they go, oh, they're all the same. Yep. Superman, Batman, and Spider-Man are way more
3: on formula than the MCU is. Mm -hmm. Back to
2: formula. Yeah, I mean, you can't tell me that Thor, Ragnarok, and Iron Man are similar in any way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, Just you can't tell example. me that
3: Thor Ragnarok and Thor the Dark World are similar in any way. It's...
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> MVPs, Chris, let's start with you. Who's your MVP for Spider-Man 3? My
2: MVP, I got weird MVPs. I'm going to have co-MVPs here. I'm going to say Bruce Campbell as the Mater D. And I'm going to say Aunt May, because I feel like we haven't talked about how great Aunt May is in these three movies. I think that she's... The perfect embodiment of that version of Aunt May, and you know she gets like one good, you know, I don't want to say speech, but like one good, you know, loving talking to to Peter in each of the movies, and it works really well. I, I I'm thinking of like the Dumbledore to Harry and all the Harry Potter books where they have their their sit down and talk at the end where we hash through our feelings, and 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 I, I don't know, I, I think. She's been kind of underappreciated. And, uh, you know, shout out to Aunt May. Um, I have my notes in front of me. So who's next?
3: Uh, we already argued about it a bunch, but my opinion was not changed. My MVP is Sandman. Eduardo? Uh,
0: my MVP, believe it or not, was Mary Jane. I think I gave Kirsten Dunst a lot of flack in the first two movies, but I think this movie, she does a great job. I think her, um, to- um, Toby McGuire, and. Sadly, James Franco do a really good job in this movie, playing off the mm-hmm. three of each other, and they they've developed a lot of chemistry over these three movies, and so it has helped them yeah. in this movie really kind of flesh out this relationship between the three. So mine goes to uh, to Mary Jane Peach. What about you?
2: And she did her own singing too.
1: I had to look that oh. up, but oh, I also yeah. looked that up. Yeah, um, impressive. <laughs> uh, there it is. Not Just according like-
3: to New York reviews.
1: J- uh, sort of impressive <laughs> um, well, if you're
2: in the first room maybe
1: <laughs> I like Robbie wrote down Sandman and uh, y'all were not able to sway me so I still like that I still, yeah, the,
0: it's too many I still like gosh, the angle the <laughs>
1: yeah
0: oh, is it I the just, royal the royal day. the royal day yeah <laughs> <The> royal day. <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: um yeah no i just liked i I liked his arc i know it wasn't long i know he didn't have multiple movies to develop but i just think it was done well and i sympathized with him um and i i liked his character i i kind of wish there was more of him Mm -hmm. which is you know part of the problem that eduardo had so um yeah
0: spider-man ratings peach what are you gonna rate spider-man three
1: Uh, surprisingly, I rated this the same as Spider-Man one. I gave this seven peckers out of 10. Uh, I've only been doing half point systems. I haven't gone into the 0.25s. So Mm -hmm. I rated it the same as Spider-Man one. I think despite the cringeness, I like it more than Spider-Man one.
2: Chris. (laughs) I gave it six evil Charlotte's web messages out of 10. (laughs) uh again i don't know who's next because i don't have my notes who, oh it's who me it?
3: um i <laughs> i basically so this movie to me was y'all were all in the note in the chat and i enjoyed this y'all were in the chat saying i this is not that bad i actually enjoy this and that's my opinion as well this movie is um a little bit better it's it's not great but it's not bad it's a little bit better than average i enjoy it it's just to me that a little bit better than I than average and I enjoy it rating is 5.5, so good slices of pie out of 10.
0: <laughs> so good. Uh, I am weirdly exactly the same as Peach here because I also rated Spider-Man 1 a 7, and I am giving this 7 finger guns out of 10, and I also think I liked this movie better than the first one. <sighs> I did. I just had a better time watching it. It was just a more enjoyable experience, personally. I just had more fun with it. I, don't, I think Spider-Man Two is still the best one. Um, well, at
2: least we, at least we agree on that.
1: Yes. I cannot. I cannot get past how neckbeard, creepy <laughs> Tobey Maguire is in the first movie. That's really what it is. I think. Cringe aside, from this movie, I think if he wasn't so repulsive in the first movie i probably would like it better but you know toby Maguire had two more movies to improve his acting to change the character a little bit yes there's a lot of awful moments in this movie but a lot of them do play off as funny because they're dumb and awful and i would rather watch this movie than spider-man one the uh, Rainy spider-man one in most cases
0: yeah i think so too
2: Okay. I I just can't get on board with that. No.
0: Well, let's check in on our rankings. Robbie, what are your Spider-Man movie rankings so far?
3: Okay. So Spider-Man 3 is at the bottom. It will not stay at the bottom. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm confident that it will not be staying at the bottom. Uh, That said, it is also comfortably at the bottom. Um, So Homecoming was at the bottom. Homecoming is now ahead of Spider-Man 3 by by a healthy margin. Um, But this... Again, this movie. so far, at this point in in our watching, I don't think we have watched a bad Spider-Man movie. So, uh, that'll change. Tune in next week! (laughs) Tune in next week. Chris, how about you?
2: I have... uh, It is also at the bottom for me, so it goes Spider-Verse, Far From Home, Spider-Man 2, Homecoming, Spider-Man, Spider-Man 3. And I also feel like there will be at least one, if not two more, below Spider-Man 3 when we're done with this. Robbie,
1: Mm -hmm. you having Homecoming so low is why your uh, reaction to what Eduardo and I just said has no effect on me. You used a normal type move, and I am a ghost, and it shows. (laughs) I have all of the Raimi trilogy at the end. Uh, That has not changed, but the order is Spider-Man 2, then Spider-Man 3, and Spider-Man 1 is in last. Yeah, I'm the same.
0: Exactly. I, we I think we differ in one spot where I have far from home above homecoming, and you have it the opposite. Besides that, we'll which is still the, the
3: most mind blowing thing y'all have said. But continue.
0: And then Spider Man Two, Spider Man Three, Spider Man One at the end. You guys look real serious because of our rating. <laughs> you're both like this still is- like caught. you're like I can't even believe this right now.
2: I'm flabbergasted. You're- I was prepared for this, and I'm still <laughs> yeah yeah. Well,
1: I don't think it's that weird. Just just go watch Tobey Maguire stare at. Uh, Kirsten Dunst's face for any amount of time in the first movie, and then get back to me. Just go rewatch those. Scenes. I just
0: think they're all so young in the first one, and they're not. They haven't learned how to act very well yet, and they're not. They're not. Oh, that's how I feel about great. Harry Potter. Great, and it just isn't as fun to watch. I don't know. They're just. It's just not. It's not as good. Like you get all of that in this movie, but they're better actors. I don't know. I guess you don't get as much Green Goblin, so that sucks but everything else is just kind of better. I don't know.
3: That's fine. Spider-Man 3 above Spider-Man 1 is less mind-blowing to me than Homecoming above Far I
0: can't wait for me to put uh, Amazing Spider-Man 4 in front of all of them. Well, that's going to do it for this week. (laughs) Uh, Huge thanks to our Avengers-level patrons, Brian and Riley. If you want to go support us, you can support us over at patreon.com slash assembly required. And if you want to yell at Peaches and I about putting Spider-Man 3 in front of Spider-Man 1, you can do so by emailing the show AssemblyRequiredCast at gmail.com or following us on Twitter at AssemblyCast. Tweet at us. Let us know how dumb we are. You can follow all of us individually. D underscore peaches for peaches. Gator 2010 for Chris. Phil kid three for Robbie and ABC Eduardo one for myself. It's gonna do it for myself, for Peaches, for Eduardo, for Chris. Why did I say my. for myself, Peaches. (laughs) For Robbie and Chris. (laughs) We love you, 3000. Bye, everybody. Excelsior. Bubbly, bubbly. Impressive.